I'm Aaron Broadus, and you're listening to the Maine Fly Fishing Podcast. Join me as I talk shop with some of Maine's most influential and passionate fly fishing folks about our diverse fisheries that make Maine such a special place to cast a fly. Welcome to episode 9 of the Maine Fly Fishing Podcast. Uh, Before I talk about today's special guest, I wanted to give you guys an update on the podcast. Um, Some cool news is that we are currently over 7,650 total downloads for our eight guests, which is incredible. Um, You know, as many of you know, the whole point in the podcast is to highlight people who are involved in the Maine fly fishing industry uh, or folks who are doing some cool things with fly fishing here in our great state. I apologize for the long absence. Between COVID and not being able to meet with some guests face-to-face, I've had to shuffle things around and with a full fishing and guiding season, plus trying to enjoy summer in Maine with my family, this project has been put on the back burner. My hopes are to continue some great interviews with people throughout the fall and winter to help spotlight some of Maine's true fly fishing gems. In episode 9, I spoke with a fellow by the name of Sean Flagg. Sean's interview is a unique one because he's the first person that I've interviewed who holds no monetary interest in fly fishing. And technically, he spends a lot of his time fly fishing in New Hampshire, not Maine. However, he sneaks over the border quite a bit to do some really cool backcountry fishing here. Uh, Sean is one of the most dedicated backcountry fly anglers that I've ever come across, and he's also not afraid to say what's on his mind. This is actually the first episode that I'll have to attach the E for explicit listening to, and it's kind of refreshing. I've been following Sean's posts on forums for years, and I just had to pick his brain about the awesome trips that he does. I feel like many fly fishers live vicariously through a guy like Sean because he spends so much time doing something that so many of us want to do, but we always put it on the back burner, and those are backcountry remote fly fishing trips. Join me as I try to dissect all the smallest of details from Sean about what make his outings so successful, and hopefully they will inspire you to dust off that old float tube and chase some wild trout on a pond where it's just you and the loons. I think you're all going to really enjoy this episode. Uh, I was raised in Brentwood, New Hampshire, which is in the seacoast area. Um, just a you know small town, um, really not much in it. Um, you know, my family's been there since the 1600, uh, 1700s rather. Um, so we've, we've been there a while. Uh, and I, I still pretty much live in the same area. Um, I live in Exeter, which is just next town over. Um, so you're not too far away from the mountains and stuff there, but I mean, it's still a good little drive. Exeter is pretty south in New Hampshire, right? Oh yeah. It's, um, you're looking at anywhere from like a, a two to two and a half, three hour drive to the mountains. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I get, so I get a bunch of questions about that. It's funny. I've been like asking people what they want to hear about with this interview. Like this topic is very, very popular with people. So you're, uh, you're the guy. I got a bunch of questions for you, not just for me, but from other people. Which is oh, cool. yikes. I'm a trendsetter. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what's going on in your childhood? Did you, did you always live in New Hampshire and then did you, uh, did you fish and stuff or were you a sports guy or? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I was, uh, you know, bred, born and raised. Um, I always, uh, yeah, I always kind of fished, um, you know, when I was younger, I wasn't really big into it. Um, but as I, as I got older, uh, you know, rode bikes around the town with a couple of buddies of mine and yeah, we'd fish all the little ponds and stuff like that. Um, I'm one of the most... As my wife says, I'm, I'm one of the most athletic, unathletic people you'll ever meet. Uh, <laughs> I can't catch a football worth a damn. 
but like she'll go fishing with me and she's like how do you go from rock to rock like that without even stopping and hesitating i'm like i don't know let's do it that's just di- yeah it's different stuff right yeah yeah like she's she like Fine. climbing up a mountain you know to go fishing she's like how do you do that i'm like i don't know i just go <laughs> that's awesome so, that's awesome yeah. um so did you did you go to school what town did you say was Br- would you say Brent- brentwood brentwood yeah yeah I've never even heard of that. There's a Brentwood, Tennessee, I think. I've heard of that before, but I've heard of Yeah, there's all sorts of Brentwoods out there. Uh, Brentwood, New Hampshire is probably the most um, least known of them all, yeah. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so where? Uh, when did you start fly fishing? Um, I started fly fishing when I was, I don't know, I must have been like 15 or 16. Okay. You pick yeah. it up on your own, or did somebody like show you how, or what? Or what's um, the deal there? Yeah, a friend of the family. Uh, he's a you know like a striper guide and stuff. Uh, and just from like going fishing with him, you know, I'd, I'd be in his boat uh, spin casting and stuff, and he'd be fly fishing and just like watching him catch you know stripers and blues on a fly rod. It's like wow, it looks you know, really cool. How long did it take you to switch over? He uh, he showed me the ropes and stuff, and just kind of left me to my own devices. So that's cool. So you started yeah. on the salt, which is which is funny because most people start, you know, for trout or you know bass or stuff like that, and then they work their way to the salt. But you actually started kind of reverse of most people. Um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I didn't. I didn't start in the salt. Um, I I definitely started um fresh water for sure um it was actually it was it was years before i even caught a fish uh in the salt on a fly rod um but did you so did you go like when you were 15 16 did you go locally like to little like you guys have like stock trout streams or yeah 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 stock trout streams bunch of you know little farm ponds and stuff like that um you know sunfish and bass um how old are you? Uh, I'm 29. You're 29. Okay. All right. So, like, your whole, like, 20s, you've just been, like, a fly fishing nut? Yeah, for, yeah, for lack of better terms, you could say that. It took me, it took me a while to get into, like, strictly fly fishing. Um, I always, ever, ever since I really learned how to fly fish, I always like to tell people that I fly fished, but the, the, fact is um a lot of times the majority of my fishing i was just spin fishing and just kind of trying to figure out how to fly fish sure um and and i guess there's like an intimidation factor uh you know through fly fishing you know how do you know what fly to use how do you know what's hatching how do you you know what do you do when this happens um so yeah it, it, it took a while for me to get you know strictly on the fly rod and what actually really did it um is my family has a camp up in Belgrade, Maine. Oh, cool. Uh, on the yeah, water? In, what's that? On the water? Oh, yeah, yeah. Which pond Which pond are they on? Which lake are they on? Uh, Great Pond. Oh, very cool. Um, an ex, uh, or a guy that I work with, he has a place on Great Pond, too. Oh, nice. Uh, and my, cool. my wife's family, uh, extended family, they have a place on Long Pond. Oh, nice. Yep, yep. Yeah, we actually, we got married in Belgrade, but... Uh, cool. Yeah, anyway, so... Going up there, I'd always bring a fly rod, but I'd always have a million spinning rods. I, I wouldn't even touch the fly rod. Yep. Uh, 
And so one time I was like, I, I got to get over this. So I just, I left the spinning rods at home, just took a fly rod and, and my, my bass flies and just absolutely had a blast. I was like, what, a, why have I been doing it the way I've been doing it? <laughs> it's hard. And from, from then on, I was just like, all right, fly rods the way to go. Yeah, and those, are, those aren't like ponds either. Like those are really lakes, let's be honest. Those are big bodies of water. So you gotta, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to do some searching. I mean, it's not like uh, your typical small, you know, largemouth pond. And, yeah. Um, the wind, yeah. Those, are big, those are big bodies of water. Like the, the, the water, the waves can kick up there and it's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome, man. So, yeah. so were you like, when you were learning, were you like reading stuff? Were you watching videos? Were you asking people? Or were you going with people who were kind of experienced or just kind of doing whatever? Uh, I guess you'd say I was just doing whatever. Um, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I was, I was reading stuff. I was watching stuff. Uh, the only person I really, the only the only person that I really ever saw on a regular basis to like talk to about it was you know the guy that got me into it. Um, so like when he would come into my dad's shop. Uh, you know, that'd be a real treat because I get to pick his brain about this or that or show, you know, how do you do this or how do you, you know, how do you double haul? How do you, and then he'd show me in the backyard. Um, I'm also, I guess some people would say I'm antisocial. Uh, I just prefer the company of dogs over people. Sure. Uh, so for, for the most part, I fish alone and always kind of have. Yep. Um, so I mean, there's like one. There's one other other person that I, I really fish with. I was going to ask you that if you have somebody you do these these you know long treks in with and stuff. It's always yeah. good, good to have a buddy there with yeah, you. Yeah, it, it, it is. Um, I've, I've got a, a my buddy Mike, who you know, I'm sure he'll come up numerous times in this discussion. Um, yeah, he and I do a lot of a lot of remote ponds together. He actually he kind of got me into like the mountain streams. Cool. A couple of years ago, which like kind of led into the remote ponds yep yep so so you have some main ties though you're not just like uh you're not like a new hampshire guy who just started coming over the border to go fishing here you actually have like a camp here so you've been yeah my my father's from maine my both my grandparents are from maine oh cool Uh, yeah very cool i mean listen this is called the the main fly fishing podcast but we can talk a little new hampshire here it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt anybody so yeah, better not. New, New Hampshire is just an extension of Maine in our in our eyes. So I thought it was the other way around. <laughs> Depends where you're from. So <laughs> Depends where you're from. Um, but they're you know they're a lot alike though. And the cool thing oh, is yeah. is you guys actually have like you have more like mountains than Maine does, but you have way less land, right? Like it's crazy that you guys are just like I mean you have like four what do you have like forty eight four thousand footers or something like that. Yeah, some yeah, some ridiculous number like that. Um, but I mean, Maine's just Maine's a cool state in general. I mean, Maine could Maine could be like its own country. <laughs> it it kind of is. A lot of people think it's Canada. I went to school in near Philly and uh, for a little while, and people asked me if I lived in Canada when I said it was from Maine. I mean, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. It kind of is though, in some ways. So I'm surprised they just haven't become their own country at this point. Yeah. We could be. I mean, we're a big tourist state, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. But New Hampshire is very similar. You guys get a lot of yeah. tourists in the. Oh, we get a, we get a ton of tourists, and and not even not even what's going on right now is stopping. I mean, there's there's still a ridiculous amount of people up in the mountains. It, it's crazy. You've seen a lot of people fishing this spring, like more than normal. Um, 
driving by places up in the mountains, yeah, I've seen a lot of people. Um, but typically where I fish, I, I very rarely see anybody. It's very cool. And it was, that's a huge reason why I wanted to get you on because, yeah. you know, just talking, if you talk to anybody who not only fly fishes, but just fishes in general, getting away from people and having a place to your own for the whole day or half the day or whatever is like, that's everybody's dream, right? It's like, Hey, I'm, yeah. I'm catching fish. I'm on my own. I don't see anybody around. There's just wildlife and myself, you know, and that's what people yeah. love. And, and, and that's what it's all about. If you ask me, yeah. it, it really is. And you're kind it's of, even, it's not even so much about the fish. Sure. Yeah. No. no, it's not. It's about the adventure, you know, and you, absolutely. it's cool because like, a lot of people talk about these backcountry trips and they do them, you know, maybe once or twice a year or whatever, but mm-hmm. you're doing this like what every like once a week, like every weekend, right? So yeah. are you a uh, nine to, you're a nine to five or do you work, you work during the weeks? Yeah, I work during the week. Yeah. Cool. So then weekends are your, weekends are your fishing time. And Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. They are. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. so let me, so I'll go, I'll go kind of backtrack for a minute. So how, how did you get into the backcountry trip? So was it your buddy Mike or was it you just kind of started exploring while you're hiking or how did that work? Well, I've, I've always been interested in like getting off the beaten path. Um, and I just, I never did it. Uh, and yeah, so, uh, my buddy Mike, he and I, uh, a couple of years ago went up to Northern New Hampshire to fish a uh, designated wild trout pond before it closed Labor Day weekend. And so we go up there, and you know, we thought we were being pre- uh, pretty slick. Uh, you know, the, They'd been having cold nights and stuff. They're so like, oh, yeah, that water, that'll be cold, and we'll catch a bunch of you know big wild brookies. It'd be cool. Sure. And we didn't take into consideration that we were having a summer like we're having right now, like really dry, really hot. And we got up there, and that pond was like seventy-seven degrees on top. Oh my gosh! That's and we're like, you don't think God, of that. You, you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. We and had so, some we had some really droughty like August September's the last yeah. four years. And last yeah. year wasn't bad, but be, the years before that were pretty bad. So it was it was brutal. And uh, so we went looking for you know small streams, tributaries, and stuff, and we just couldn't find water i mean all the all the streams and stuff were low yep um and we're like oh man we're, we're striking out this isn't good and so we got looking at like google maps and stuff and and we found you know we we're looking at all these ponds that are our aerial stocked remote ponds um by the state and we found this little one and we're like well you know it's not a far hike in so let, let's go check it out so, you know, we went in and we checked it out. Service temperature was like 75, still really warm. But there are like brookies just rising all over this pond, this little pond. Sure. And we brought our rods in with us. And so we're like, the heck with it. We came this far out. Sure, the water's warm, but we, we got to catch something. And we started catching these like six, seven, eight inch uh, brookies. Awesome. And I'm like, sweet, this is totally, you know, there's no one around. You can't hear anything. You know, it's just total tranquility. Um, you know, you, you have that, that like, pine smell. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, this, this is awesome. Like, it, it's so quiet. You can hear it being quiet. And it's just, when you hear something, it's like, holy cow, what was that? Right. 
Right, but you're out there, and this it's yeah. a, it's a great and, feeling to be out there on your own. And, and that's that's what hit me the most. Cool. Um, and from there, just it, it, it just took off. I, I I went back up there a couple weeks later uh, when it cooled down. I brought um, a canoe with me. I, I ended up stashing a canoe at that pond, mm. and I just I fished that pond for like three days, and just I, I probably caught in three days. I Probably 150 buck trout. That's awesome. I was going to uh, ask you, when you guys first went up, did you just, like, hike in? You had your rods? Like, you didn't have all this gear, like, float tubes and stuff like that at that time? Um, we had our float tubes, but we didn't bring them into the pond. Uh, the hike in was only, I don't know, that pond is maybe maybe a five-minute walk in. Oh, okay. So that's, yeah, you can bring a canoe yeah. in there, no problem then. Yeah, yeah. Um, we didn't we didn't bring our tubes down because I used to be very particular about ponds that I'd float tube. Uh, I've I've gotten really brave the last few years. Mm. Um, I had an incident a couple of years ago. I was fishing a pond. I had a snapping turtle come up in between my legs. <laughs> I, I made a noise that I don't think I can ever replicate. Sure. Uh, we call that a man a man scream. No one. Uh, there was there was something yeah. and like. <laughs> That that just like really put a damper on like my float tubing. Yeah. Interesting. And I mean, over the yeah, I've, I've gotten a lot better, a lot braver. I mean, I've 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 been into some real you know sketchy spots in the last two years. I've I've gotten you know totally brave now, but sure. yeah, back then I was really particular. So um, I think I think a lot of guys they like do what you did, right? Like they hike into a pond, they bring a rod. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh man, I can't fish this without some sort of watercraft. Like, you can't just like rely yeah. on standing on a couple rocks that's very muddy on the bottom usually." And so, yeah, so then yeah, people so. do what you did, and they either bring in a canoe or like, I mean, I know that people in Maine they like uh, snowmobile them in in the winter yeah. and stash yeah. them. And yeah, but that's that's very common out here too. Yeah, yeah, you bring them in in the winter time. It's a lot of work though. And what are you gonna do? You're gonna stash you know ten canoes on your ten favorite ponds, I and mean, that's. That's a yeah, lot of that's, money that's, and effort. That's pretty much what people do, too. You go to some of these ponds, and you look at these boats, and it's like, thing hasn't been turned over in 30 years. <laughs> I know, I know. The, and, and some of them, it's funny, because some of the ponds, some of the people, they, they put their names on the boats. Yep. And it, it's kind of funny. You go to some of these ponds, and you kind of keep track of the names, and you see, like, the same name popping up, and it's like, oh, I'm developing funny. a pattern here, you know? Those are, like, pre-float tube days, like, when you, you had no choice. You know, but to have a, have some sort of boat. But you know, I I find this in Maine. Sometimes you'll I'll you know hike into these ponds and I'll find a canoe or a rowboat and it'll, uh-huh. they'll like literally write on it like please put back or something. So it's kind of like yeah. that unwritten code of like yeah yeah there there's a there's an unwritten code um, and there there are quite a few ponds that I've, I've I go into that um, they do have unlocked boats and it is known that hey you can use it. Uh, you just you put it back. Yeah, and I, I think I think most people do. I mean, who's? Yeah. It's a hard work to get it in there. I don't think anybody's going to yeah. take your old yeah. canoe out and, of there. And you look yeah. at you look at most of those canoes and, and boats, and they're not, you know, they're not brand new ones. They're not brand new <laughs> old towns. You know, they're, no. No. they're pieces of crap. They really are. Which yeah. is why they're chained to a tree. Right. <laughs> they may float or may not. That's the other thing. You take a risk with that, but. Yeah, I mean some of these some of these boats and canoes. Like I've seen them, like trees go, growing up through them and, and just totally rotted away. Sure, sure. But, Guys have probably passed away. They've probably been in there yeah. decades, you know. And and that and that used to intimidate me too. I used to go into these ponds 
and you can actually see it from a lot of times you can see them from Google Maps. You can see all these these boats uh, stashed on the shoreline, and I used to intimidate me, and I used to see that off. There's no fish. That, there's no you know no fish in that pond. It's not worth fishing it because look at all the boats. Everybody fishes it. Right. Um, but again, like I said, you look at a lot of these those boats, and a lot of them haven't been moved in years, so they only get moved you know used once or twice. Sure. And and I've I've got an old saying that empty boats don't catch fish. That's a good point. So a good point. And, and it actually helps me now because if if I'm looking for like a backcountry pond and there's no trail, seeing where the boats are that tells me where to shoot for, where to go into. Oh, that's interesting. Like what part yeah, of the, like what part of the pond you come into? Especially on like the real boggy ponds that have like a a real like sudden drop or a soft shoreline. Where those boats are will usually be like the best place to get in the water. Sure. Um, so it, it can be useful. Now, is this so? You said you've been doing this for what, like three years or so? Yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. I think this is. Uh, I don't know. This is my third or fourth year. I can't remember. You know, I Which found I found you because you you post these awesome reports on um, on mainflyfish.com, and I've been. I've been a member of that site, I don't know, at least 10 years now, and yep. you've been posting there quite a bit, and it's awesome. I mean, you're, you're uh, for people who haven't been there, go to the fishing report section and look for look for Sean Flagg's name, and, um, you know, you'll find, uh, you do great reports. I mean, you, you, you get a little thermometer going, right, and you show what the temperature yeah, yeah, is, yeah. and talk about the, the hiking, and you talk yep. about the fishing, and, um, you know, very cool, and I, I think a lot of people... A lot of people look at those, and you're probably a motivator for a lot of people, whether you know it or not, to go do that stuff. So, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's something that I have uh, more of. I'm a big river guy. I spend a lot of my yeah. time on the big yeah. rivers, but I yeah. um I have this like I don't know what you call it, like a calling to go do that because I've done it. You know, I've yeah. done it plenty of times, but it's not yeah. my it's not my um it's not my priority fishing, so to say. You know. Yeah. And, yeah, but I mean, God, fact, I'd love it to be. <laughs> fact of the matter, I think, is um, a lot of fishermen in general, but even more so fly fishermen. I think when when they when they see a pond, I think they're not quite sure what to do. It's true. I mean, you you, you show up at a river, and you know you, you can just look at the river and go, okay, well, there's an eddy there, there's a seam there, there's a pool there, there's riffles there, sure. all likely holding me. But you look at this just expanse of nothing and you're like uh where are these fish yeah especially if you're not seeing rises you know if you're early season or if it's midday or whatever sometimes and and i've got a whole you know i've got a whole method um you know to what i do when i get to a pond especially one that i haven't fished before very cool very cool yeah Yeah, we'll 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 get to that um yeah because i want to ask you like techniques and um you know are you a big dry fly guy you know you be sink line guy all that Mm -hmm. stuff so a um, couple more questions I had for you here, though. Were so? Do you think? Um, do you think this is like a phase? Like, were you like a? Were you ever like a big river fisherman guy? You know, and now you're just trying something different. Do you think there'll be something different after this? Or I don't think so. Um, I, I was a uh, you know when I was getting started, my first few years in, I was I was a big when it came to trout, I was a big river guy. But for a long time. Um, I was actually, I was actually a diehard bass fisherman for a long time. Sure, um, a lot of fly guys. There, there were there were quite a few years where I just I didn't even trout fish. Yeah, um, 
I, I was convinced that, you know, the state of New Hampshire didn't have anything other than stocked fisheries. And so it wasn't very appealing to me. Then I then I got up north into the mountains, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Very cool. Um, and, of course, when I got up into the mountain, I realized, holy cow, look at all these other people that I'm fishing with. I just, I didn't like it. Yep. And... Yep. I just, I, I just, I got into ponds. I one. You just went a little. Know, you just, went a little further than everybody else. You know, you. Yeah, I. They stopped I, the river. I, you kept going. Yeah, it's just a weird story how I got into ponds. I got into ponds completely by accident, and I just, I looked back. I was like, "Wow, that was awesome!" And so I just kept doing it. Were you a hiker growing up? Like, I mean, New Hampshire's got ridiculous hiking opportunities, and was that something you um, did a lot of, or? Like mountain hiking, not really. Hmm. Um. We were very, you know, me and my, my brother and sister, we were very, you know, active outdoors because both my parents are very, you know, outdoors-ish. Um, and, and my parents have a ton of conservation land behind their house. Uh, so, yeah, we were always outside. We were always in the woods. We were always, you know, doing something, running around outside. Um, so, I mean, so to, so to speak, you know, mountain climbing, mountain hiking, not really, but just spending time outside in the woods, yes. Very yeah, cool. we were always out there. So I'm going to ask you a question that you probably think I would ask you later in the interview, but um, what's your what's your favorite part of, of, the, of every fishing trip? Like, what's your favorite part of getting into a backcountry pond? Or you do, some, you do some backcountry streams too, right? Not just ponds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was fishing some streams this weekend. Cool. Um, my favorite part, um, I don't know. I mean, I've got quite a few favorite parts. I mean, especially if I'm going in somewhere new that I've really wanted to get into, you know, the, the night before, you know, the suspense, the excitement. Sure. Um, it's almost like the night before Christmas. <laughs> uh, and e- even, even like the week leading up to it, like all the research I'm doing on it and like, you know, studying the maps, um, and then the hike in, like getting getting to the pond and like seeing that pond, wondering what the pond is going to look like, what's going to be there when you get up there, uh, and, and seeing that pond for the first time. Uh, I don't know. There's just so many good aspects of it. Yeah. Uh, and and really, again, it's not even so much about the fish. It's it's the whole experience. It's it's the work that you put into it. Um. I mean, my favorite my favorite part is just all of it I just I love every every aspect of it it's very cool and so I had this question from a lot of people too and and I'm curious um, you know you talk about the night before you talk about the anticipation stuff so you know are you when you're driving in the mountains are you spending the night up there the night before or are you doing like a huge like as we call it a turn and burn trip for the day from where you live? Excuse me. Uh, sorry, my my beer went down the wrong way. That's all right. Um, <laughs> no, I'm I'm usually uh, I'm usually turn and burn. Uh, I'm usually I'm usually up around three three thirty in the morning, and uh, you know I, I hit the road and and it's just a day trip. Um, if I'm going up into like way northern New Hampshire, uh, Errol, Pittsburgh, that that's that's a multiple day trip. Um, sure. I would. I would like to get into doing overnights at some of these ponds because I think that'd be pretty wild. Um, I can only imagine how some of these ponds fish like right before dark. Well, that was my so that's the question I've been getting from a lot of people is like, you know, hey, does does he hike you know two hours into a pond and by the time he's there it's you know eight or nine a.m. at least and then are you just fishing like 
the midday part because we, I think we all know that fishing at low light hours can be even better, right? And you're you're still killing it during the day, it seems like, right? But um, yeah, I I haven't spent any overnights at a pond yet. I've I've got you know quite a few planned, uh, but whether or not they come to fruition. Um, but one thing I'll say about remote ponds is all logic goes out the window. That, that's all I'll say. It's all lot the whole. The whole myth about midday fishing and high sun on remote ponds, it all goes out the window. Like the fish are just so opportunistic that they'll just eat. Like for the a, most part, yeah. Very yeah. cool. I mean, it, it varies from pond to pond, but for the most part, yeah, they're so optim, uh, uh, oper, uh, whatever that word you just used was, opportun, Oppor- opportunistic. Opportunistic, yeah. 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 <laughs> my, my beer's starting to talk right now. That's all um, right. Mine too. <laughs> but uh, What are you drinking, yeah, Sean? Yeah. What are you drinking? I know you're a beer guy. I saw your... I was checking out yeah, your Instagram I, there. So what, yeah, what do you I, like to drink? I love beer. Uh, I'm drinking some uh, Heady Topper. Okay. Is that a local? Uh, Is that a no, local? I'm from uh, Alchemist in uh, Vermont. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. I'm yeah. a big uh, I'm a big Lone Pine guy. Yeah, yeah, Lone Pine? cool. It's very cool. I could ask you this question, too. I noticed that you bring them in with you on your hikes. How do you keep them cold? So that's actually something that I usually don't do. That's something my buddy Mike usually does, and that's one of the that's one of the perks of, of fishing with Mike. Mike's actually uh, he's a big uh, like craft beer guy. I, I I don't know if I I don't know if I'd call the words uh, use the word snob because I don't want him to hear this and get upset. But I would I would almost call him a craft beer snob. Um, cool. He's he's very particular, and he's got some really good beers. Uh, but no, he he carries in. Uh, it's actually his girlfriend's Michael Kors. Um, very fancy, like, little, like like uh, cooler, nice. like little like that goes with the purse. <laughs> you know, he's got like this, like uh, uh, not not Michael Kors. I'm sorry, Kate Spade, uh, like a Kate Spade bag. You know, it's got this design on it and very feminine, but you know, it keeps the beer cold. So screw it. So it sounds like uh, he's like, "Hey, Sean, you carry all the fishing stuff, and I'll carry the I'll carry the beers in." <laughs> oh hell no, he carries this shit. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I had yeah, because I had to ask you. So I'm like, man, when you hike in, I mean, what? Well, and let me ask you this question: What's a typical hike in for you? We talking thirty minutes? We talking two hours? You know, what's pretty average? Uh, it it all again. It all depends on. From pond to pond, it, it varies. Um, they can be anywhere from, uh, you know, a five or ten minute walk through the woods, or they can be, you know, a two hour hike up a mountain. Um, but I'd say on average, a lot of times, uh, anywhere from a half an hour to an hour, maybe hour and a half. Sure. Um, again, it, it all varies from pond to pond, but yeah, yeah some of them. So some of them are brutal, and a lot of them are actually really easy. Very cool. How how many uh, how many different ponds do you think between New Hampshire and Maine you've you fished in the last few years here since you've been doing this? Well, in Maine, I've only done a, a couple of a couple of ponds in Maine, and actually the majority of the ponds I've done, actually just about all the ponds I've done in Maine, uh, they've actually been like beaver ponds. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. But in New Hampshire, I mean, New Hampshire has forty eight designated aerial stocks trout pond uh as of this year i fished 24 of them yeah we don't have a lot you know i was I've, I've scoured google earth many times and like we have you know we have some stuff but um 
if you look at New Hampshire, it's crazy the the difference, right? Like you guys just have so much more stocked water, at least in that part of the state. I think if you went up in the county in Maine, you went up way up north. I think it's, I think we have way more ponds. Yeah, really guys, far up, but yeah, I mean, you guys have a ton of water, um, and, yeah. and you guys have that whole um, uh, heritage uh, heritage waters list. Which you look at that and you're like, holy shit! Yeah. Um, it just goes and goes and goes. It does. And I mean, you guys are lucky because a lot of those fish, you know, the majority of your ponds up in the county and Piscataquis County and, and stuff and, uh, um, um, Somerset County and stuff. A lot of those are, are, you know, heritage wild, you know, trout waters, which is totally awesome. I mean, I, I, that's something I wish New Hampshire had more of. Um, but just, you know the way New Hampshire fishing game is, and that that's a that's a totally different subject for a different time. But uh. yeah, I mean, I think I think Maine uh, Maine inland fisheries they get they get some flack, but I think I think they're they're I would even say way above what New Hampshire does. I've heard a lot a lot of complaints out of New Hampshire in terms of you know taking care of wild fish and stocking yeah. wild fish and stuff yeah, like I mean, that. So. New Hampshire. Just New Hampshire likes to stock fish just because they have fish. Sure. So yep. it's like, oh, we got the fish. We might as well put them somewhere. So they, <laughs> they, they do. And it, it really, it really, oh man, it, it gets me going. I see New Hampshire fishing game post on Facebook about, you know, fishing for wild brook trout and these, these mountain streams and stuff and, you know, how to handle them with care because they're, you know, they're, they're special and all this because they're ones. Well, then how come you're not protecting them more? Right. You know, you know, they're there. Right. I mean, it, it's ridiculous, and, and there's so many rivers and streams throughout the state, not even just in the mountains, even southern New Hampshire. There's so many small streams that meet the criteria for being managed, and they just, they don't, they just, you know, they keep stocking them, so whatever, you know. Yeah, it's a very frustrating thing that we've actually, um, we've talked about on this podcast before, because yeah. Maine, Maine's very similar in some ways, um, but yeah, we're just like... It's like, come on, man. We're in. It's 2020 now. Yeah. Like, we we will not have these fish forever due to you know climate change and stuff. Right. And, right. Like, let's manage what we have while we're here, and let's stop making them exactly. com- compete with you know tank scrubbers and stuff. It's frustrating. And it's, what really makes me kind of chuckle too is you look at the main stalker report, and you'll see you know like a pond. Yeah. And and on that pond, you know, they'll put I don't know 150 brook trout, and that's it. Then you take like that same pond, put it on the New Hampshire stocker report, and it's stocked like six times throughout the spring season, and it gets like six thousand fish. It's crazy. And it's like holy shit! Like we have that many fish, then it, it's unreal. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it personally. And the conversations I've had with people is that you know it's, it's a money thing. You know, if you're stocking oh, fish, yeah. if you're stocking fish, then you're keeping fishermen happy and they're going to keep buying licenses and keep spending money in the yeah. fishing industry. Yeah, and, and you know. fact of the matter is, especially up in the mountains, um, nobody's coming from, you know, Massachusetts or New York uh, to catch little wild brook trout. They, they want to catch, you know, bigger production-sized rainbow trout, brown trout, but they don't care if they're wild or stocked. Right, right. You know, they, just, they want to get their money's worth out of the, you know, ridiculously priced uh, out-of-state license. Yeah, they're more they're more there for the size of fish and like yeah. you know a lot of the spots you go you're you're catching like what's a big fish in most of the ponds you go to 10, 12 inches? Um the wild. Again, that all depends from pond to pond. Um 
I'd say on average, for the majority of the ponds, on average, those brook trout, they're going to be, I don't know, 8 to 10 inches. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a larger, like, top end of fish is going to be, you know, 12, 14, 16. Yeah. And there are some ponds that have, you know, 18, 20-inch fish. Um, New Hampshire, a couple of years ago, they actually, for the stocked remote ponds, they actually um, switched strains of brook trout. And so now a lot of guys are, are saying that, Ever since that that strain was changed, um, you know the the trout don't get as big. Interesting. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I'm, they they were using up until a couple of years ago. New Hampshire was using Kennebago strain brook trout. That's what we use as well for our stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're getting them from Maine actually. Yeah. Uh, and because you know it was, it was new, uh, the state cut funding to fish and game. You know, it became way too expensive to have two strains of brook trout, so they they axed the uh, Kennebago strain, and now now they just use the uh, the, the domesticated Rome strain. Interesting, and and so are a lot of the are a lot of these mountain ponds actually stocked in New Hampshire? Oh yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. What like if you had to guess a percentage, like what what's the percentage of uh, stocked versus wild? Of you know, it's like seventy five percent of them are stocked, or. Uh, I'd say like ninety nine point nine percent of them. No kidding. Yeah, I mean, you look. So you look at the White Mountain National Forest, and you'll see all these ponds. You see hundreds of ponds. Sure. Um, and there's a lot of them. Uh, and I've I've been picking the brain of the the fisheries biologist who's in charge of the the remote pond program. And a lot of them over the years have been stocked. And. Over the course of the years, many of them have been discontinued for various reasons. Um, the most of it is so many of them are so shallow, mm. or they don't have the spring activity um, that fish don't hold over, fish don't survive. Sure. Um, so what they've done now is they've just whittled down to you know the the productive ponds, and that's what they stick with. That's what they stock. Um, so yeah, you look at a lot of these ponds that if it's not on the list on the stocking list. It might have some wild fish in them. I mean, you can't rule that out. But whether or not it's got a huge population, eh, it's questionable. Do you um, do you find holdovers in the heavily stocked ponds? Oh yeah! Oh oh yeah! Oh, oh I, yeah! I mean, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, just, oh yeah. And do their stocking numbers stay the same from year to year? It seems like. Um, it's it's pretty similar. Yeah, I mean, and and I actually I'll, I'll touch base on this real quick. Um. The nice thing about this fisheries biologist uh, that I've been talking to, uh, he he manages these ponds. This is this is kind of a it's kind of messed up, kind of weird how they do it, but it, it's you know the way New Hampshire fishing game is. He manages these ponds by angler feedback. <laughs> so when he gets you know he's got one pond that he gets a lot of good reports from. You know there's a lot of fish in that pond, so yeah. he might roll those numbers back. Interesting. Or if he's getting, you know, a report from this pond, a lot of small fish. Okay, let's roll these numbers back, see what happens. It might be a numbers thing. It might be a forage thing. It, it might be a, a fertility of the pond thing. I mean, there's one pond uh, that I fish. It's a beautiful pond, probably the most beautiful one in the mountains that, you know, they stock these fish as fingerlings, two to three inches, and they only get to like six inches in this pond. Really, and then they just you think just because there's there's no their only forages is it's just an infertile pond, so all their forages insect life, so okay. they just they don't grow. Yeah, there's no uh, yeah, like that's my other question is like a lot of these these ponds you fish like are there are there a lot of bait fish in them? Or are they just kind of all relying on 
dragonfly nymphs and you know mayflies and and, uh, well, again, that uh, that depends from uh, from pond to pond. Uh, but yeah, quite a few of them have shiners or dace. Um, and again, the, uh, all these ponds, all these remote ponds that get stocked, uh, they're stocked with fingerling brook trout. Mm. So when they fly the helicopter in uh, to stock these <laughs> fingerlings, that's the dinner bell. I mean, any fish that's been in that pond for a couple of years recognizes that sound. Sure. <laughs> And, I mean, you ask anybody that's fished those ponds after the helicopter's talking, and they'll tell you, you know, fishing with a, a larger streamer, like a two- to three-inch-long streamer, you're going to catch bigger trout because that's what they're eating. Uh, you know, I, I again, I, I have an acquaintance that works for at one of the fish hatcheries, and he's been in the helicopter, and he's like, yeah, we touched down on this pond, and I'm dumping these fingerling brook trout in, and these big brookies are coming up. Right as the helicopter's right there, and these big brookies are coming up and eating them right as I'm dumping them in. So I think he's feeding them. I got to ask you this question. So, you you know, you, you put in this work to get in these ponds, and do you ever feel like, and I don't take this the wrong way at all, because I think what you do is friggin' awesome, but at the end of the day, do you ever feel like, man, I'm hiking all this way for something that was put here recently by, by man? You know what I mean? It's not like it's like you're hiking this pristine, wild you know, trout pond, you know, there's, um, I always have that sense like, wow, it'd be way cooler if these are wild fish. Yeah. Uh, but again, the fact of the matter is these fish are stocked as fingerlings. Yeah. Um, it's not like they're one year olds they're not two year olds. They haven't spent, you know, years in a hatchery. No, any size that these fish have reached in these ponds is on their own. These fish, they act, they act like wild fish. They look like wild fish. I mean, they're, you know, well, they, they, very very rarely do you see a, a defect on these fish like you would like a one year old or a two year old fish. You know, there are no there are no worn fins, there are no missing fins. Right. Um. So no, I I don't feel that way because it's it's like catching a it's like catching a, a big holdover fish. You know, it's, it's that fish got to that size on its own. He survived, right? And he's right. He's so able to adapt no, and survive in the wild. There's there's no. Uh, no, there's no feeling like that. No, it, 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 no. That's good because you know I I I fish for stockfish quite a bit, and I do fish. Yeah, we all do. I fish for wild fish as well, and like yep. I gotta, I I just have this thing, Sean, in my head. It's like if you had, to, if you asked me, hey, where would you rather fish? I'm going for the wild fish, you know, because I just it feels more like you know they're there, they're there first, you know, yeah. they weren't put there and, by and man. That's totally fine. Um, there's there's another guy that I know who's actually a member of the main forum. Um, and, you know, he's got this saying, you know, oh, that's a long way to drive for a stocked fish. Yeah. Um, really? Uh, who cares? Right. I mean, <laughs> as long as you're having fun, that's all that matters. Who cares if that fish is stocked or wild or who cares if it was stocked there 20? Who cares if you were standing right there on the hatchery truck showed up? Right. It's all about having fun, you know, and that, that's what people lose ambition. And that, that's one of the problems with, with fly fishing is it's still very almost class-based. Well, oh, that was a stocked fish. You're, who cares? <laughs> who, give, who gives a shit? Yeah, no, you're you're very right, Sean, and it's... Um... I mean, my family, my family owns a two-acre spring-fed pond. We stock it with trout every year. Right. We dump them in, and 20 minutes later, we're down there fishing for them. Who cares? You're having fun. Right, and catching a fish is, you know, this yeah. is this is a conversation that I've had recently, too, is like, just catching a fish, any type of fish, 
in any setting, whether it's on a fly rod, spin rod, whatever, it's exciting yeah. to catch fish, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's this, it's this feeling of like, hey, I just threw something tiny into this huge body of water and I caught yeah. a fish from it, and I could. I think it almost brings out that like I don't know that primal instinct in you too of like, hey, I could, I could provide for myself, you know, off this yeah. or something. Oh, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And I, when when this whole uh, I know we said we weren't going to talk about it, but I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> uh, it's like when this whole COVID thing started and people were freaking out because uh, everything was going to shut down and you know there's going to be food shortages. And you saw all these people that were like. You know, oh, it's a good thing I hunt, or it's a good thing I know how to fisheries, I can provide. And, right. Yeah, there, there's something to be said about that, but, uh, I mean, luckily it didn't come down to that, because I can't stand the taste of fish, so. Really? So you don't you don't ever eat the brookies that you catch? No, I, I, no, I can't, no. No kidding. Okay. I mean, if I was to do an overnight trip, I would. Yeah. Just, just because it, it, that's part of the trip. I mean, there's, uh, I'm not going to bring in, like, a freeze-dried meal for crying out. Yeah, if. And I've heard, I've heard the like the remote pond fish and stuff. I've heard those fish are really good. Yeah, I I love. So I don't keep. I probably keep maybe one or two fish a year, if if that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just by choice, not that I'm being a snob or anything. No. I just prefer catch and release. And yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Where, to be honest with you, where I fish mostly anyway is all catch and release, and it's yeah. um, I. Uh, but I do like, like, I do enjoy catching a nice pan-sized brookie and cooking it sure. up, and it's great sure. to eat. It's not really a meal, I'd say, but it's it's like a good little appetizer before a meal, you know? So yeah, yeah. It's always fun. Yeah, I so. mean, like, like I mentioned earlier about, you know, fly fishing still being very class-oriented, uh, sadly, one of the things is so many people look down upon people that keep fish. They do. They I do. mean, no one should ever be you know guilt tripped because they legally kept the fish or you know their limit right you have you have you can't get mad it just it, it drives me nuts i mean yeah there are times i catch myself doing it but it's like well hold on first of all the guys got every right to do it so get over it all right um you know we we've if that's your thing that's your thing if not hey whatever i mean yeah, you see people post. I mean, we've talked. I've talked social media on this on this podcast quite a bit too. You see people post, and you know, there's always there's always one guy. There's always one guy, right? That's like, you know, hey, did you keep it, or why didn't you throw it back and let someone else yeah. catch it? There's always but one. You know? What get, what irritates me more is you'll see a guy on social media, you know, holding, you know, typically like a bit. It actually doesn't even matter the size of the fish, but it's typically a big fish, and they've either. You know, they're either holding it like it's a, you know, a largemouth bass, or they've got their hands in its gills. Yeah, they're, and they're like, they're like, yeah, released it, uh, released to fight another day. Uh, no, but, you know, A plus an effort because that fish is dead now, but right. you, you may as well have kept it. Yeah, I mean, a big, a big part, Sean, of my, of my podcast and what I'm trying to do ultimately is like, um, trying to provide some education for people too, yeah. you know, cause I yeah. think, I think people are, and I don't mean this in any sort of negative way. I think that, I think people are ignorant and yeah, not, absolutely, yeah. not ignorant that they're choosing to be. I think they just don't know, you know? And yeah. And, um, and, and it's funny cause uh, I was actually thinking to myself, uh, something similar to the scenario today. Um, you get these, the state of New Hampshire, at, you know, any water that has, uh, special regulations, whether it be fly fishing only or, um, wild trout manage whatever they have these big orange signs they put up and in big letters it says you know attention to anglers and it states the regulations yeah and there are more times I've been in these waters and you see people you know not following these regulations and I think a lot of it is 
like you just said, it's people don't under, they see that sign attention anglers. What the hell does that mean? Right. I'm not I'm not an angler. I'm fishing. They don't take time to read it, or a lot of times the signs, right. at least in Maine, they say like see the law book. For, yeah, I've seen rules, I've seen that, know? and honestly, in this day and age, who the hell looks at the law book? Nobody, because it's so long, yeah, right. it's confusing. It's, it's just like that in New Hampshire. It's, there's there's actually quite a few stuff in New Hampshire that's in the law book that yeah. you can't find elsewhere. And, yeah, and unless you've read the law book, you don't know, and and a lot of people just don't read it. Well, I've I've always complained about you know enforcement and stuff on on a lot yeah. of some of the bigger. I would say rivers more so in Maine than, than ponds, but I mean, a lack of enforcement also, you know, promotes kind of a lack of education and like people, fish are at the very bottom of the totem pole, right? Like if you go hunting, you have to take a hunter safety class and you have to learn, you know, the morals of hunting while you're taking that class. Fishing, no, you pay 23 bucks for your license, right? And you can just go out and everybody just assumes I'm going to go fish and I'm going to keep fish. And unfortunately that's not... You know, it's not the rule in a lot of these places. There's a lot of places where you can't yeah. keep fish or you can't keep certain sizes. And, um, you know, it's 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 a little bit of ignorance, really, at the end of the day. Yeah. It is. And, so. and I do I do just want to touch base with, with one of our previous topics, um, uh, just because we kind of got off topic. I do want to reiterate that there are some ponds in the White Mountains that are not stocked that do have wild fish. I, I do I do want to get that out there. Very cool. And you know, I I was going to ask you like are you um when you go to these ponds, I can't remember if I asked this question or not. I may have, but this might be the beer the beer talking here, but when you go like what do you are you like, "Hey, today I want to go catch big fish" or "Hey, today I want to catch little fish." Like how do you how do you kind of decide where you're going to go? Um as far as like ponds go or what? Yeah, ponds. Like how do you so, decide? That, what, what dictates, it's not so much the, the size of the fish that dictate my trip. Um, it's the time of the year. Um, it's the elevation that, you know, a certain pond might be at. You know, what's going to be warmer, what's going to be colder. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, earlier in the season, when things are cold, yeah, just about everything's fair game. So, I'll opt to go to some of the places that give up bigger fish. But as the season goes on, you know, weather gets warmer, water temperatures get warmer, now you've got to start going up in elevation, and a lot of those higher elevation ponds, while they stay cooler, the fish tend to get smaller. Yeah, and do you do you um, always do you always try new spots, Sean, or do you kind of go back to just, like, old reliables quite a bit? Um, it, it depends. Um... I mean, I, I've got my favorites. Um, I've got my old reliables. Um, I'm actually going through that right now. Um, so I've got I've got a pond that's actually really spring fed. It's a small pond. It's really spring fed. It, it doesn't doesn't really get over seventy degrees. It's relatively low elevation. It's a quick walk in. Um, so I've been hitting that. Yeah. Way too much lately. Well, it's been hot. Let's be honest. Yeah, and surprisingly, when I was in there on uh, was it yesterday, yesterday morning, I went in there. It was only sixty-six degrees. Oh, that's great. Um, last weekend when I was in there, it was sixty-four degrees. Now, uh, every- so it, only, it, it only went up two degrees over the course of you know this hot week we had. So some uh, of you know some of our ponds in Maine, we have um, we have brook trout and we have landlocked salmon. Are you yeah. are you primarily is it like always brookies or do you guys have yeah. rainbows and some stuff and browns no, and some no, stuff? No. Um, a while ago, New Hampshire, they you know they mixed and matched and they tried rainbows and they tried uh, 
couple of ponds he tried um browns uh rainbows and i think splake and tigers and a couple of ponds he tried um uh trout which i guess in maine you guys call blueback trout yeah um and, and none of them, surprisingly, even the, they, they tried for a couple of years to get blueback trout established in a couple of ponds, but they just, they didn't take, even though they're, they're native to those drainages. Yeah. Um, and it's just, over the course of the year, they're just, all right, just, just brookies. So, yeah, it, it's all, it's all brookies now. Um, a lot of, a lot of our remote ponds are actually really acidic, uh, and, and, Brook trout actually, even even though brook trout, you know, they have the you know highest demand for water quality. Yes, they do. They are actually uh, can tolerate the highest level of acidity of all the other trout. Interesting. Um, which, which is interesting. Um, does the you know, uh, does the acidity come from? I guess I've heard this since I was a kid, but like there was you know all the all the uh, factories in the Midwest and stuff, and the winds would blow. To the you know they blow towards the east here and they bring that stuff with them is is that um, where you think a lot of that comes from or I I don't know that's a good question I know that's a big problem out in New York yeah uh, with their with their uh, like remote ponds and the Adirondacks yep uh, and what they actually do in New York is in the wintertime they'll fly a helicopter in and they'll actually spread lime like powdered lime yep. over the ice to lower the uh, acidity levels. Okay. Uh, but as far as New Hampshire goes, uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I couldn't tell you. Um, I do know, again, talking to um, you know, this fisheries biologist, a lot of the traditionally higher um, acidity level ponds are actually getting better. Interesting. So, yeah, so that's really good. Um, <laughs> and, and to bring up a, another point, uh, you know, he gave me a whole list of, of ponds that least stopped stocking because of high acidity levels. And he actually kind of told me, he's like, hey, since, you know, we're seeing a traditional drop in, in uh, acidity levels in some of these ponds, these other ponds might be worth checking out because there might be wild fish in them. That's interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, yeah. But as, as far as as far as what's caught, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I, I don't know. Well, that's like, you know, like our Androscoggin River here in Maine, like... Oh, that place the, used to be a mess. Right, but the fishing was the fishing was arguably better um, oh, back, yeah, I mean, back when they were, when the New Hampshire mills were dumping into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like the browns and the, the browns were bigger and would hold over more and stuff. And it's, yeah. it's funny sometimes you think it's like, you know, you would yeah, think chemicals yeah. would kill fish and stuff, but yeah. sometimes it... <laughs> You're not finding brookies with two heads on them. It's, it's who cares, you know. I don't know. It might be a pretty cool fight. Uh, I mean, the andro to begin with, uh, all trout aside, the andro is probably one of the best smallmouth fisheries on the East Coast, without a doubt. It is. Um, I mean, that, that place is that, especially like in, you know, I'm not even going to say it, so never mind. Um, there's a certain stretch of it that's just an absolute bass factory. Um, absolutely crazy good. In New Hampshire or in Maine? In Maine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have we have very good smallmouth fishing on the Andro, the Kennebec, and the Penobscot. I mean, yeah, they're all Kennebec's fantastic. Really good, yeah. yeah, we yeah, don't... I, I, we don't... I fished, I fished the Kennebec one time in my boat. 
when we were up to camp. And yeah, that was, that was a really cool day. I mean, yeah. I hit a shitload of rocks, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we do have rocks in all those rivers, yes. And I've lost, yeah. I've lost anchors before in those rivers because of that. And, yeah. um, you know, it's funny to talk about smallmouth for a minute. It's one thing I don't understand why the state does not promote it more. Um, because like you said, we have some of the best in the country. Like there's no, yeah, absolutely. there's no doubt about that. I mean, they want to uh, keep pushing brook trout and all that, but let, let's be honest. Like we have really great smallmouth and actually pretty good yeah, no- Northern pike fishing too. To get that, to, you know, to get sidetracked a little more, um, I have a huge love for smallmouth bass on a fly rod. Um, they're fun. Oh, they're, they, if you ask me, they're the ideal fly rod fish. Um, oh, they're, they're just, they're awesome. Um, but yeah, Maine, Maine's got absolutely, especially down east, down east Maine's got some phenomenal smallmouth water. Even, you know, people are going to Grand Lake Stream now to fish for smallmouths. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big deal, you know? But again, like you said, you know, why only promote, I'm, I don't know why that's a soft spot for me is, especially coming from New Hampshire where, you know, from a certain point to a certain point, you have to catch and release bass to protect them spawning. <laughs> so it's almost like you're giving these invasive, invasive fish that have displaced native wild brook trout more protection than you're given the native wild brook trout. It's very so interesting. It's kind, of, it's kind of a soft spot for me. It's kind of a touchy area. Yeah, well, that doesn't make any sense to me, and I think... Oh, it uh, doesn't. It doesn't. I mean... They've got, you know, in the state of New Hampshire, we've got, uh, I think, like 13 or something designated wild brook trout waters, which is a, a total crock of shit, because we've got, we've got a ton of wild trout water. Sure. Um, but you're going to tell me every bass water in New Hampshire, that, that applies to every bass in the state of New Hampshire, whether it's in a trout pond or what, you have to release them during that time period. It's like, hey, it's, it's just a load of shit. That's just like a blanket rule, basically, is what they're trying to do. Instead of breaking it down by water or whatever, you know. Yeah, it's just, but anyways, uh, back to remote ponds. So, let's get back. Um, We can always go down that wormhole here, right, and talk about stuff like that. But let's let's talk about what do you, um, what do you look for when you're looking for a new spot for like a new pond? What do you, what do you look for? Like, what do you look for on Google Earth? Do you look at stocking reports? You know, what do you you go um, for? uh, Yeah, I look at all that. Um, I like a stalker. So typically when I find, I mean, I've, I've looked at the, I've looked at the list of, you know, remote ponds, uh, enough times now where I know what's on the list. If I come across something on the maps, I know whether it's on the list or not. Um, if it's a really good looking spot, um, with some digging, you can usually find out information of, like, if it was stocked at one point or not. And that's where I play uh, my my fisheries biologist contact card. And, I, you know, I'll throw him an email <laughs> and say, hey, is there any is there any record of this pond? And he'll, you know, he calls it the green book. And he's like, I'll dig into the green book. And he'll get back to me and say, oh, yeah, yeah, back in, you know, 1932, you know, they stocked fishing here and, you know haven't heard anything about it since um so i I look for stuff like that um i also look for like if i'm looking for wild fish um i look for tributaries Um, yeah does that tributary if it's a tributary i know you know i know it to have wild fish okay well there's wild fish in the tributary there must be wild fish in the pond right 
Um, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Yep. Uh, do you ever get into a spot and you just get totally skunked and you're like, man, there just must be no fish here? Um, I never, I never rack it up to, uh, there not being any fish. I'm a very humble person. Um, if I get skunked, I always, you know, assume it's me. Um, you know, the, I've been not, not to, you know, blow my own horn or anything. I've only been skunked on one pond this year. Yeah, but I mean, if you go into a place, right, and it's like it's late June and it's mid-afternoon and you just see no, like, activity on the water and it's like a new spot, you know what I mean? Like, that's a great time of year to go and, like, you would see brook trout rising pretty much um, any time in the end of June, early July, usually. I, I, right? Again, I mean, like I said, I'm a very humble person, so I always rack up to it's me doing something. But, I mean, yeah, if I was in a pond during prime time and... You know, there's a green drake catch coming off, and there wasn't a single rise. Okay, there might be something going on. Um, but I've never been in a situation like that yet. Interesting. Uh, like, I, I started to say, I only, I've only been skunked on one pond this year. And I did not, the whole time I was there, I did not see a rise. I did not see a follow. I did not have a hit. Uh, but I know there are fish in there. So it just... Something that I was doing, you know. Yeah, and that's fishing sometimes. You know, yeah, we all yeah, have, that's, we yeah, all that's have the way it is, and yeah. Um, and, that, and, that, and that's what keeps, honestly, with me, that's what keeps me coming back. That yeah. just, that makes me That makes me want to fish that pond even more. See, I know they're there, and right. I know they're, that pond in particular, I know there's some really nice fish in there. Hell yeah, that's a that's a challenge, right? It's challenge accepted. Yeah. When you have a bad day, you're like, all right, I'm going back there, I'm going to knock it out. Right, it, you know? it's, it's, you know, that's it, even the score. Do you uh do you target certain hatches? Are there some ponds where you're like, ooh, this pond always gets a great green drake hatch, or or damselflies are really great on this pond, or stuff like that? Um, not really. Uh, just because I have such limited time, um, that I just you know I fish where I can when I can. Sure. That being said, there are you know there. There are a couple ponds that, you know, do have hex hatches and stuff, and it's like, okay, let's, you know, focus on this pond around this time because there's a hex hatch. Or, um, but as far as as far as the specific hatches go, not really. I mean, and it goes back to these fish being so opportunistic um, that a lot of times it doesn't have to be a good hatch going on to have a good day. Um, sure. So, no, not, not really. I think I think a lot of fly fishermen too, Sean. Like at the end of the day, like they've all done this, right? They've all gone into a pond, they've been by themselves, and they see that I'm catching, you know, smaller trout. Usually, maybe maybe sometimes bigger ones, but it's like they're opportunistic, and that's what keeps people like dreaming about it, right? Or like wanting to go back. It's like yeah. they're just like you're not having really, as you would say, you know, or anyone's you're not having like a lot of skunk days. Like you're getting fish that are pretty active right. and. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is, and and I'm not I'm not very size orientated. Um, I just I like catching fish. So whether they're big fish, small fish, I, as long as I'm catching fish, see yeah, action. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Do you uh, do you ever get into a pond and find someone in your spot, or find someone there? Not your spot, so to say, but yeah, yeah, and no, I know what you mean. Um, uh, no, not really. Uh, I've only, there's only, I don't know, I could probably count on one hand 
how many times I've been fishing on a remote pond and someone else has shown up and I don't, I don't think I've ever shown up at a pond and had somebody already be there. Interesting. Uh, just cause like I said, I'm usually, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm out the door usually three, three thirty in the morning. Um, what time so are you getting on the water usually? Like 6 a.m., 6.30? 6, 7, yeah. Yeah, yeah d- depending on the hike. But, um, sure. Yeah, very, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever gone to a spot. I'm like, ah, shit, somebody's here. I, I don't, I, I can't recall. You, um, these days, you do you always fish from a float tube now? Yeah, I'd say, um... I'd say like ninety nine point nine percent of the time I'm out of I'm out of a flow tube. Yeah. Do you? Uh, it's funny. I've I've only used a flow tube one time, and it was a long time ago before yeah. I was what I would say proficient. Um, do you find it hard to cast from a flow tube? I mean, probably um, not now, but like at first, did you? Yeah, not not now. I don't. Um, when I first got into float tubing years ago, yeah, I thought it was like a pain in the ass. Um, and it wasn't so much casting. Um, what I had a hard time with early on was fighting fish, you know, keeping your rod up and, and having the leverage. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, you spend time in the, in the tube and, and you learn that stuff that, uh, you know, a, a beginner would find, you know, to be a hindrance. Um, there, there is definitely some getting used to them. I love float tubes. I've got five or six float tubes. Uh, I think if I bring another one home, my wife will kick my ass out. <laughs> um, I've, got, I've got like five or six float yeah, tubes. That's like everybody. On, we on, all got on, something. On boat. Uh, I, I'm, I'm always coming home with something. Um, but no, um, I, I've, just, I've gotten used to it where, you know, a, a lot of people talk about to, to fish from a float tube, you need a longer rod, you know, a nine and a half foot rod, a ten foot rod. That That's a crock of shit. Um, best thing I heard about that was, uh, Jim at Eldridge Brothers Fly Shop, he yep. told me, if you can't cast out of a float tube, you don't need a longer rod, you need a casting lesson. Yeah, that sounds like Jim. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, so you're familiar with Jim. <laughs> I know uh, Jim very well, and that's a Jim answer. Jim is... Yeah, I remember, uh, <laughs> I, was, I was buying a line over there one time, and uh, I'm on the parking lot casting it, he comes out, and he just, he's staring at me. It was pretty uncomfortable. And... He's just watching me. He goes, the hell did you learn to cast? <laughs> and I'm like, what? He's like, where'd you learn to cast? I'm like, I don't know. I figured it out myself. And he's like, yeah, I figured. Here, let me. And he just, I mean, he totally ripped me apart. And it, it, it pissed me off. Because yep. uh, here I am getting ready to buy this $90 fly line. And he's, you know, telling me I suck. Yep. And then I walked away from like, holy shit, he actually just gave me a casting lesson for free. Right. Right. I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy's awesome. Jimmy is yeah. a totally awesome guy. That's a that's a gym move, you know. And, and, and yeah, yeah, it's Jimmy. You either like take it as it is, or you like you said, you just get so pissed off. You're like, who's this guy? You know, but he's yeah. And Jimmy's a phenomenal. I mean, you watch you watch Jim cast. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit! And, and now when I go over there and buy a line, he's like, you want to try? I'm like, nope. Nope, I'll do it when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> just, and it's not even—it's not because I want—I don't want. It's just I, I see him doing. I'm like, you're really good. You don't even have—you don't even have to cast uh, the line for Jim just to tell you what you what you do wrong anyway. Oh no, you—you you just yeah. He's gonna tell yeah. you anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he's—he's he's, for a long time he's always asked me when they do their uh, their freeze up. 
Yep. Uh, if, if I'm going to do the casting competition, I'm like, no way. No, not in front of you, no, Jim. No way, not, not in front of you, Jim. Not, yeah. If you're judging it, no way. Yeah. I, uh, I've been doing some fly tying classes there the last couple of years. And, yeah. uh, I love it there. And, and it's, it's a great spot. And I mean, they almost should just rename it Jim's Fly Shop, you know, because he's, yeah, the, he is yeah, Elder's really Brothers, yeah. you know. So. Jim, Jim's an awesome guy. He's helped, he's helped me out a ton over the years. Yeah. Uh, I've done a couple of fly tying classes over there. Uh, I'm not a fan of them and it's not anything to do with, you know, the shopper. It's just, I'm not a fan of that many people. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's packed. I mean, I get 13 and, people in, I, in a newbie you class. Know, I, I took the couple of years in a row, I took the rod building class over there. Yep. Um, I'm totally into rod building, by the way. Uh, yep. I, I love rod building. Um, and Jim's just like really supportive. Like whenever I go into the shop, uh, he's like, oh, what are you building now? He's, he's always like really supportive of like my rod building. Yep. And he's always like, oh, I'm really glad, you know, you got into it. Cause a lot of people take it and they just, they build one rod and forget it. He's like, but you're, you're, you know, you're running with it. And, and yeah, Jim's just, Jim's an awesome dude. How many you got, how many rods have you built, Sean? Do you know? Uh, I'm actually, I'm sitting here in my basement looking at my rod building desk and I'm looking at a, about half a dozen rods I've got to build right now. Um, but I've built, uh, I don't know, I've built like seven or eight for myself. Um, I actually, I just built the first one not for me over the winter. Yeah. Um, that's kind of, kind of nerve wracking. He's actually going to be taking it out for the first time tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, so that's kind of, I fished with it before I sent it to him. Yep. Um, but I'm kind of like, oh, I hope he doesn't break it. Um, I'm sure if but, it's good enough for your standards, it'll be good enough for his, because you're on the water know, a lot. I've, so. I've broken, you know, a fair share of rods that I've built first time I fished them, so. What, let me ask you this, what's your, uh, what's your favorite, like, size and length rod to be using when you're, when you're on backcountry ponds? Um... From a float tube, uh, I like uh, anything from like an eight and a half to a nine foot yep. in length. Um, as far as rod weight goes, um, depends on the size of the fish in the pond. Um, I'll fish anywhere from you know a three weight to a uh, to a five weight. Um, most of the time, I'd say I fish a four weight though. Yep. Do you ever uh, do you ever overline your rods? I used to overline rods all the time. Yep. Um, and actually, I stopped doing it this year for the most part. Um, there are a couple of rods I'll still do it with, like some of these real modern, uh, fast action rods that are, you know, are like a four by four, um, that just have no feel to them. That's, oh, that's what I hate about new rods. It's just so many of them don't have any feel. Sure. Um, and they're so stiff. You almost have to overline some of them. Uh, but no, I, I got back into running the standard, you know, listed line way, just feeling that rod, just in a, in a sense, just, you know, being one with that rod, I guess you could say, but yeah. And I mean, when you're building rods too, like, is it, I mean, if you build a four weight, are you building a four weight or could it be kind of a three, kind of a five, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I is mean, it, ever, it, like, it could, it could go either way just because, you know, rod builders, rod manufacturers, they just, they have their own. You know, standards. Yeah, I've, I've built rods that, you know, you wiggle and you're like, yeah, this isn't a four weight. This is a five weight. Yeah. Um, God. <laughs> but there are, again, with rod building, I mean, you can you can take a blank out of the box 
wiggle it and say, oh, you know, that, that's that's not a three weight, that's a four weight. And then you wrap your guides on it and you cast it. Like, oh no, that's a three weight. Like it. it one, once you put it's guides interesting on, you say that. It's interesting it, you say it, that. Because I've fished some six weight rods that I swear they're a four weight. I'm like, this is so light, right? Yeah, it's, I've never. It's crazy. It's crazy. I've but. never run into that. Um, if anything, it's. You know, it's a six weight, and it feels more like a seven. Yeah. Um, and actually, one of the, like when I bass fish, actually, I still I still overline my rods. Like if I if I'm fishing, you know, big flies, bass flies, or, or heavy streamers, yeah, that's when I still overline my rods. But yeah. Uh, and for for people who are listening who don't know what overlining means, it means you take like a seven weight line and you put on a six weight rod. Yeah. Um, yeah. The advantage of that is you usually can get a little more. Um, distance with beefier flies, right? But yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're loading the rod a little deeper, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. The first time I ever did that was on a pond with yeah. a guide, and it was like the second year I was fly fishing, and uh, yeah. he had a uh, four-weight four, four weight line on a three-weight rod, and, yeah. you know, he was having me cast and stuff, and he's like, he was like, he was he was so excited about it. And at the time, I had no idea what the hell he was talking yeah. about. <laughs> and yeah. now I do, and I'm like, oh, I get it now. You know, and it's yeah. it's yeah. Uh, it's really helpful. So, um, um, another question for you. So, when you go on your your trips, are you like um, are you like a quantity guy or a quality guy? Like, are you kind of looking for I, don't, I guess I kind of asked her, I didn't have those size yeah, versus numbers. But, uh, so I'll I'll run with it anyways. Um, I I am a I'm a quantity guy. Uh, I'd I'd rather you know I'd rather drive two hours and hike two hours uh, and catch you know uh, twenty fish that are six to eight inches than you know do that drive and hike and catch you know three fish that are you know. 16 inches you know i just i'd i'd rather have an action-packed day sure and does does the i'm assuming the you know the hiking part of it must add to your adventure a little bit like it's not like you're just pulling over the side of the road there's a bridge there's a river right, right? like right. it's yeah it's uh it's got to be a rewarding feeling to come out of there say, hey i just uh, slayed it, it and is, i just walked five miles you know it is one of the one of the most rewarding feelings in the world yeah i mean just Coming down from a pond after just a really just solid day of fishing, whether they're big fish or little fish, just a real solid day of fishing is just like you you know you spent that day right. You know, right. you know you took advantage of the day and you spent it right and just you know, everything is good and you don't you don't care what's going on in the world, you know, you're just like it's an awesome day. You're just you're you're in that that whole and the hike the hike down just goes so fast because you just that's what your mind is on is reflecting on on that day. So yeah, I, I'd I'd rather you know catch quantity. Very cool. But quality, I don't. I, again, I don't. I don't judge quality. Uh, I don't judge quality on size. I judge quality on you know the all overall appearance of the fish. Like I said, a lot of these a lot of these uh, remote pond fish, even though they're stocked, they're immaculate. You know, they, they look like wild fish. They're, they're beautifully colored. Um, you know, everything's intact. You know, the, the fins are sharp. And, and you know, these the, the white and black lines on their fins are, are just, you know, really vivid. So I, I judge quantity, uh, quality rather, on, uh, you know, condition of the fish. 
Yeah, it's funny you say that because sometimes I judge quality not on the length or the weight of the fish, but more so on the actual, like, sometimes, like, the take or the fight, right? Like, I yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have a fish in my mind that I that I was fishing on a pond uh, with like little blue damselfly flies. Yeah, yeah. And he took it before it even hit the water, and I hadn't yeah. even cast it that spot. And I was like, he was yeah, like, a, I love it. He was like I a thirteen-inch fish, and not the biggest yeah. one I even caught that day. But at the end of the day, I was like, it was just freaking cool. The, you know? Yeah, the effort, the effort they put in, uh, and and I. To, just to kind of touch base on what you said about the, the blue damselflies, I love fishing damselflies. Oh, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, and that, that pond I was talking about earlier uh, that I've been fishing a lot lately, that, that spring-fed pond that stays cold, that's actually a really good damselfly pond, um, and, and even dragonfly pond. Yeah, uh, no, um, just to, like, we can start kind of getting technical now and talking about some things. I wanted to ask you some, yeah. te- I wanted to ask you some technique stuff, but I also wanted to say, like, there have been times where, um, you know, when you're fishing on a pond, sometimes do you ever do you ever track a fish? Because sometimes you'll see that they'll rise, and then they'll 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 be like cruising in one direction. They'll rise again in ten yards, and then they'll rise again in ten more yards, right? And you kind of you ever like cast a fly out after they've risen like two or three times in anticipation um, of where they're gonna be. Do you ever do that? I guess I probably have. Um, I'm not, I'm not really one to chase rises. Yeah. Uh, I find it to be ineffective because then you, next thing you know, you're, you're racing around the pond. Um, <laughs> you do that a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, the matter is when you're fishing a pond, it's not so much if a fish sees your fly, it's when the fish sees your fly. Um, eventually one's going to see it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there are times where, you know, there's a, there's a rule of thumb I've heard that if a fish rises in the same area uh, three times within a, I don't know, a couple minute time frame, um, that indicates, you know, that fish is active, actively feeding there. So yeah, I'll target that fish. Um, if, I'm, if I'm fishing, I see three rises in one spot and, you know... Uh, a three or four minute time window. Yeah, I'll, I'll haul ass right over there and, and fish that spot. Well, uh, I I often find that when I'm on a pond, if I see a rise, it's it's important to be able to cast not just with distance but with accuracy too. Because if you if you land it right back in that O ring pretty quickly, it seems like a lot of the time you'll get some sort uh, of action out of it. Yeah, and and that, that's true. Um, and, and again, this is speaking, uh, on a New Hampshire, uh, pond perspective, uh, cause I mean, there could be some guys, you know, some diehard Maine pond guys shaking their heads right now. Um, <laughs> uh, but from what I've seen on our ponds is, um, like you said, you put it right in those rings. Yeah. That fish will turn right around and eat it. Sure. But if even, even if you get it 10 feet away from those rings, I mean, I've, I've, I have seen it. These fish will haul ass right over to it. Um, these fish, you know, they're not wild browns. Uh, they hear a disturbance on the water. They're going for it. Interesting. Uh, and, and whether it's a good cast or a, a bad... I mean, I've caught more fish on, on sloppy casts. Uh, <laughs> We've all done that. Uh, you know, you leave the fly yeah, out of the boat is, for I a second. It's one, reason, <laughs> it's one reason why I kind of like these ponds, because you don't have to be... You don't have to be super technical on them, you know? Sure. I mean... These fish will get, and even, 
You know, I've, I've had fish give me five or six uh, shots at them. You know, they'll, they'll keep hitting <laughs> until they either give up on you or you hook them. Right. Um, you know, I was, when I was fishing the weekend before last, uh, I, was in, I was hitting my float tube and I had a, a knot in my line. And I'm, I'm sitting there and, you know, trying to figure out how in the world I got this knot in my line to begin with. And my flies are sitting right by my fins. Yep. Just sitting there on the surface, right up, you're just, you know, seven feet away from me. I caught three fish. <laughs> and I'm right here. You're like, get off my line, I'm trying to fix it. <laughs> I'm literally right here. And you're just coming up and eating, you know, this, oh, this, awesome. this foam thing with a hook sticking out of its ass. It's awesome. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's funny. It's one of the first. My wife didn't grow up fly fishing at all, and she's only done it probably less than ten times since we've been yeah. together, which is crazy. But I usually will bring her to a pond because yeah. of stuff like that. Sometimes it's like it's almost yeah. it's almost easier um, than rivers at times, and it's it's fun, and you're out there by yourself, right? And you're, you're yeah. having a good time. And, and pretty cool. I actually. I haven't really brought in any ponds with the exception of our, our family pond, but, uh, you know, when I, when I bring my wife fishing, um, you know, I take her to these, these wild brook trout streams just cause it's, it's the same thing as a pond. I mean, they'll give you, right. they'll give you a chance after chance after chance. They just hurry up and hook me. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's really great. And people say, you know, best way to learn how to fly fish is go to a, a pond with, with sunfish. I say go to a brook trout stream. You're not wrong about that, my friend. I'm I'm debating. Uh, I haven't really brought my five year old out yet, but I want to yeah. bring her to a small pond, a uh, small stream, and just yeah, fish yeah. little little dries, you know, and stuff yeah, like that. Small and, stream, or, or even like a beaver pond. Yeah, beaver ponds are great. Sure. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, so to talk some technique with you real quick. When um, you know, when you're casting out of a, because you primarily, like you said, you fish out of a flow tube. Do you have any, like, casting advice for people out of a float tube that you find a little different than, you know, being in a canoe or something where you have a little more um, leverage, so to say? You're up higher. Um, a lot of that, I would say, is personal uh, technique, uh, what, whatever is comfortable for you. Mm. Uh, my, what I, to be straight to the point, what I have to say is do whatever you feel you have to do to get a good cast. Interesting. Uh, you know, don't worry about what you read in Lefty Cray's book. Don't worry about what Jim told you at Elgin's Brothers. Uh, <laughs> do what you have to do so that you're comfortable getting a good, a good cast. Personally, what I do, um, especially from the float tube I fish from in these remote ponds, because uh, I sit so low to the water, and I keep a high back cast. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that's good. I mean, that's great advice for people. You know, you're not... You're, you want to keep a high back cast because right. you are and lower, other, right? In, in some of my other float tubes where you sit, you know, higher out of the water, it's like casting out of a canoe or say that's, you know, there's really nothing to it. Um, best, you know, I, I taught, when I taught my wife how to fly cast, I actually taught her, uh, I, I actually had her sit on a um, five-gallon bucket. Mm-hmm. And, and, I had to learn casting from that position. Instead of being up high, that's interesting. Um, just because, you know, knowing me, we're going to be either out of a foot tube or a canoe or yeah, um, a really weird, you know, overgrown small stream. Um, so why learn casting in a, you know, standing position when 
you're for the most part not going to be fishing in a standing position. Yeah, and earlier you you also alluded to um, you know when you get a fish on. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever use like your? And I have no experience with this. I'm just thinking about this actually. Like, do you ever use your flippers? to kind of back yourself up, to kind of keep some tension on, like yeah, a fish running at you or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, all the time. That's one of the awesome things about a float tube um, versus like a canoe or a kayak or something. Because, yeah, you'll get, you'll get those fish that they run right at you. Yeah. And, yeah, you just you kick it right in reverse. Or um, if you're trying to stay away from an area while you're fighting a fish, like say you're, say you're around like stumps or something like that, um, and you don't want the fish getting into those stumps, or you, you don't want your float tube getting. You just yeah, you you use your yeah, you use your fins to your advantage. Interesting. And do you ever use do you ever use your fins or your like? Oh, I guess, yeah, I guess your fins for like presentation stuff. Um, do you ever use it to kind of help you maybe strip a little quicker? You know, if you're fishing subsurface or something like that, or kind of back up at the same time. It's almost like you're using using both of the boat. Are your flippers um, and your your body? No, I wouldn't say I. I mean, I may have, and actually, when I next time I go out, I'll probably notice that I do it. Uh, now that you've asked me that, but I can't. I can't think off the top of my head any time I've done that. Um, the only time I've ever really used my fins, you know, directly related to fishing itself, would be like if I'm quote unquote trolling. Yeah. Now is that uh, is that legal in New Hampshire? Because in Maine, if you have a fly fishing only pond, you're not allowed yeah, you, to use like right. your canoe or anything as, as yeah. a propeller. Uh, you know, no. In, in New Hampshire, I mean, this is live free and die, dude. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> a little more strict over the border here, I guess. But yeah, and uh, that's I don't know. I always thought that was weird because the nice thing about a float tube is you can be fishing. And if it's like windy out, you can be kicking your feet, you know, to keep you in position. But yeah. if you get a, a you know game warden or the hair across his ass, he can go, "Hey, you're trolling." Yep. I'm yep. not. Yeah, you are. You're, you're moving. You know. So yeah, I always thought that was weird. It's it's a different law that we have here in Maine, and I don't personally know anybody think, who's ever been pinched for it, but I'm sure it happens. I mean, I'm sure. Oh yeah, it's it's almost like the uh, do you need a do you need a life jacket and a float tube. Uh, discussion, uh, which I've seen that pop up a couple times on the forum, and it's usually just a shit show. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's one of those things that on a normal day, a game would be like, all right, whatever. Um, and I think I think I would have. I've never fished a fly fishing only pond in Maine, but I think if I did, I'd have a really hard time with that. Yeah, because I mean, it's like you have I mean, to. To be, to, to be honest, I mean, I. Troll all and my 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 rule of thumb. I troll all the time. Yeah. In my float, and my rule of thumb is, you know, to anybody that asks me about fishing ponds, they've never fished. They ask me, how do you find fish? First answer is keep flying the water. Yep, that's the first one. <laughs> whether 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 you're going from one spot, keep your flying the water. Yeah. That's troll- I don't care if it's trolling. It's right. catching fish. Right. Well, it's cheating. No, it's not cheating. You're catching fish. You're there to catch fish. It's, it's not like you're putting. It's not like you're putting a, a crawler or a spinner or something on your flyer. No, you're you're, you're kicking them once. So you, no, cover cover water and keep your fly in the water. That that's rule number one. 
I find I do find that to be a very weird kind of rule here in Maine, and I I have not looked into other states and know if a lot of other states do that, or if it's something that we kind of yeah, do I mean, New here. New but Maine is a kind of weird, anyways. But <laughs> yes, hey, we you are. Know, you're not as weird as people from Vermont, but we oh. love you, anyways. Hey, well, you're right in the middle, so you get a nice Vermont Maine sandwich, you know. So yeah, people from Vermont are weird. <laughs> <laughs> I have not, nothing personal to anyone who's from Vermont. I mean, they're they're super nice people. They're just kind of weird. Well, we uh, spend a lot of time in the woods, and it makes you that way, you know? Hey, uh, I'd, I'd, ra- I'd rather be weird from being in the woods than be weird from being in the city, so. I agree with you. Some people argue that there's there's two Maines also, you know, there's, uh, I think a lot of people here in Maine, they call Southern Maine, Northern Massachusetts, they don't that's call what, it. That's, that's what I call it, yeah. Maine, so, it's, uh. I, I, call, I, call where, I, I call Southern New Hampshire where I live, Northern Massachusetts. Yeah, I live in southern Maine, so I I, I live here, but I recreate in in what you would call the real Maine, you know. Yeah, I, I can't so. I can't wait to get out of southern New Hampshire, but whatever. Do you have plans to? Is that is that a? I mean, I, I have to? plans to. My wife does not. Yeah, that's pretty, <laughs> I think that's a pretty common thing for all of us. Yeah. You know, it's uh, my wife's family's from Cape Cod, so I don't yeah, yeah. I don't think moving much north of Portland is going to happen at all. But no, my my wife's from California. Oh okay, all right. Uh, she doesn't. She doesn't want to go back. She like she wants to go to like Massachusetts. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I'm like, no, no, <laughs> absolutely not. I just I won't even entertain the idea. <laughs> My wife's one of eight and from Massachusetts, and it's that when we first got together, it was like, yeah, I'm not moving south of Kittery. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, she she was trying so hard to get in. The first time she found, like, when we first moved in together, when she she just happened to find a place in New Hampshire, I was like, we'll take it. That's it. I don't yep. care where it is, but we'll take it. Awesome. I'm not going to Massachusetts. It's funny. Yeah, you're just, don't, you're just a hometown boy, you know? And yeah, I'm born and bred, born and raised, you know? My family's always been here, so. A lot of, and let's be honest, a lot of great, great people from Massachusetts. And, um, yeah, well, they are. And Massachusetts, you know, it's, it's got its some uses, but. It's all. Uh, it's all, uh, it's funny though. You ever been to like Western Mass? I mean, to me, that's, oh, Western, Western that's not even Massachusetts. Bird, the Berkshires are beautiful. Yeah, it's not even, Absolutely uh, beautiful, yeah. I think it's just Boston. I think you and I and a lot of people are just not city people, and then you, yeah, you associate yeah, all Massachusetts see, people with the city, and that's not true. We, we see the North Shore and we're like, ugh. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I work in Massachusetts. Right, right. No, it's it's no uh, no knock to you, Mass people listening. We love you and yeah. Keep coming fishing in Maine and New Hampshire, and uh, I, I like how I can work in Massachusetts and get paid you know ten dollars an hour more than I would in New Hampshire. So that's a great that's a great point too, isn't it? Oh my gosh, man! Starting teacher <laughs> starting teacher salaries there are like what we make on like year ten up here. Oh, I so, can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh it's pretty normal. So, um, all right, back back to pawns a little bit. So. Yeah. Do you um? Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about gear, and let's. Can you tell people like what a float tube is and how it works, and like you know what are you wearing when you're sitting yeah. in a float tube, and do you have a life jacket, you know stuff like that? Absolutely. This is this is like the the part that I love talking about, and I've been really excited for you to talk to me about. Um, because actually I pride myself in my kit. I guess you could say. Um. So just to start from basics, what a float tube is. Um, a float tube is an inflatable device uh, that you pretty much uh, float around. You sit, you sit in it, and you, you float around the water. Uh, you wear fins and, and 
you kick yourself around. That's that's what moves you. Um, they're an awesome and and very underutilized uh, tool for a lot of fishermen. Um, you know, they're not loud like a boat. Uh, you you can you really you know creep up on on fishing them. Uh, in in the instance of remote ponds, they're light, so you can you can pack them in. Um, the the specific float tube I use for these remote ponds is uh, made by a company called Wilderness Light. They're out of Idaho or Iowa, one or the other. Uh, and I feel like Idaho would make more sense than Iowa. Yeah, I think so, <laughs> but for whatever reason, Iowa sticks out in my mind. Interesting. Um, and then they're made strictly for backpacking into the backcountry. Um, the float tube that I have, it, it's uh, three pounds. It's a little under three pounds. Wow. Super light. Super super light. How um, how big is it in your um, and maybe maybe to go back a step further? Although I did ask to talk about float tubes. Like, what are you carrying in for a pack? Like, you're just wearing a backpack, or what are you? Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll get to that in a minute. All um, right, go ahead. Stay on the float tubes then. Yeah. Um, so the float tube that I use, it, it like I said, it's made for this type of fishing, and uh, it actually fits into. I want to say it's a. I want to say it'll fit all the way down into a seven by fourteen stuff sack. Wow, that's fantastic. Um. And yeah, it either you know you can stuff it inside your backpack, or you know you can attach it to the outside. Um, and to answer your question, um, most of, if I'm going into a, a, a far hike, like if I'm going to a, a pond that's way in there, I'll carry it in deflated in a, in a backpack. Um, if I'm going into a shorter pond, what I actually do is I inflate it about I don't know, three quarters of the way, and I strap it to a pack basket. And that's if you know, like, the trail's wide enough, right? Because they yeah. do, it, yeah. like, the size of it, for people wondering, it's kind of like a recliner chair, basically, right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much the recliner chair that you're floating around the pond in. Um, okay. And, yeah, the majority of, the, the majority of these, these ponds in, in New Hampshire, they've, they've got paths going. They've got, you know, obvious paths, you know, well-worn paths going into them. Yeah. Is uh, it- very few you've got to bushwhack into. Are they, uh, I mean, you're in it all day, so is it, yeah. is it comfortable, or do you ever get, like, you know, back cramps, you know, stuff like that? Or? What I'll say about this float tube, um, it is one of the most uncomfortable float tubes on the market, yep. I'd say, but you've got to think of what it is. It's a stripped down, very basic <laughs> uh, float, because it's, the whole purpose is to be as light as possible. Um, if you've never float tube before, you probably wouldn't like this float tube. Um, especially early in the season or late in the season when the water's cold because you, you are sitting in the water. Um, are there float tubes where you ride out of the water? Oh, yeah, you know, there's a ton of float tubes that you ride. Uh, you know, you're you outcast, um, you know, you super fat cats and stuff like that. But those are, you know, those are 15 pounds. Interesting. Um, I mean, you can carry, by all means, you can carry one of those in a remote pond, but after doing it a couple times, you're going to hate yourself. Um, I mean, this is, in my opinion, this is the way to go. Um, you're a minimal. You're a minimalist to some to some extent, right? It's like you're trying yeah, to keep yeah, everything you're, as small you're, as possible. You're trying to save weight. Yeah, because um, you have to. You have to pack your waders, right? Which obviously yeah, you have to pack your waders. Uh, so 
Uh, I use a pair of Patagonia uh, Rio Azul um, lightweight waders. Um, now they aren't, you know, they aren't quote unquote packable, but they are lightweight and they're thick enough that they do keep me warm if you know the water's cold. Um, they're they're actually really great uh, waders. Um, and my buddy Mike. He actually uses a specific, uh, you know, Parapatagonia waders that are specifically packable. Oh, cool! And those things, those things are stupid light. But the thing about those are, you put them on, and it's like you're wearing, you know, two no. Hannaford's bags on your legs. Right. <laughs> and they're they're super light. Like I actually, you know, like you can almost see like the Hannaford's logo on on the legs. Like that's wow. what they feel like. Wow. Um. So, that, so you get cold. I mean, you're not because you're not hiking in either with you know layers and layers of clothes. Um, usually, no. Uh, I mean, some sometimes like if it's not a far hike, I'll hike in with my waders on. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but again, most of the time I don't. Yeah. Um, just because you're working up a sweat, um, you know, stuff like that. You also you don't want to rip your waders, you know. Nope. Uh, one thing I would recommend is always, always, always. Um, packing a pair of long underwear. Interesting. Uh, no matter the time of year, even mid-August? No matter the time of year, I always have a pair of long underwear, a pair of thermals. Um, just because you don't know if it's windy. I'll tell you right now, if, if it's windy, even if it's in you know mid, mid to late June, if you're up at you know 2,200 feet, if it's windy, you're going to be cold. Yeah. You are. I mean, that water, even if that water is, you know, 63 degrees, you're going to be cold because you, you sweat on your way up. Now that sweat's turning cold. So what I actually, what I do, uh, and God have mercy on anyone that's witnessed this, uh, what I'll do when I get to a pond and I'm like getting ready is I'll strip right down to my, you know, my skivvies. Yep. Yep. And Makes sense. You know, I'll, I'll let the sweat dry off and uh, I'll throw my thermals on if I have to. Um, if not, I'll just put my clothes back on. Um, but you're just trying to, you're just trying to cool yourself down a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And, and even carrying like a lightweight, um, like fast dry towel, uh, is, is good, is a good thing to have. Um, and like you said, you asked about a, a life, a life jacket. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm not taking any chances on, on these, any of these remote ponds because who knows, you know. What's gonna happen up there? Yeah, one of my questions for you I had too is like, what's uh, tell me. Well, I guess you already told me kind of a scary story about backcountry pond fishing with the snapping turtle between your legs. You well, know, that that wasn't that wasn't a back that wasn't a backcountry pond. That was that was on like a, I was actually in a bass pond. Okay, all right. Uh, nice. So I mean, to be honest, I shouldn't even have been surprised by that. Right. But uh, no, um, I wear a. Uh, I think Onyx, I think the company Onyx makes it. And it's actually, it's like a waist. Uh, it goes on like a belt. It actually, it looks like a fanny pack. It's real, it's real sharp. It, it's a sight to see. Uh, it looks like a fanny pack. And it's just, it's out of sight, out of mind. Um, you know, so it's not getting in the way of, you know, up in your chest area and stuff. Um, does it's it infl- essentially, it's, does it's it like another leading belt, you know? Does it inflate, or is it just if you were to like? I mean, let's 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 be honest, right? You're wearing waders, which can fill up with water, yeah. and you're in a pond. So if you were to 
God forbid, slip out of your float tube, right? You would, you'd fill up pretty quick. Does the, does the life, the, the belt, uh, life jacket you're talking about, would that kind of combat the, your waders being filled up? I would hope so. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, so I couldn't tell you. You ever fall out? No. No. No, I mean, uh, if it does happen, I'll let you know. Yeah. Uh, well, you have like a little skirt there. It seems like too on the on the yeah, like yeah, on the got, front. They call, so. the, they call it a stripping apron. Um, oh, okay. So I kind of yeah, in a way, it kind of acts like a seatbelt. Um, but no, I've, I've never had an issue of like slipping or almost falling out or anything. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a big uh, it's a big seat, and you're reclined back. You know, you're not. You're not yeah, in a situation yeah, that can happen. Yeah, and, and it's not like they're tippy or anything. Like they're they're actually really once you get used to float tubing, they're really comfortable. Um, sure. But uh, yeah, I, I, I wear that. Um, you know, like I said, it's a waist. Uh, you know, it's a it's a waist uh, style life preserver. Yeah. Um, and I uh, just uh, on on top of that, just all the other. All the other stuff that I carry with me, um, you know, net fins. Um, do you have special? Do you have special fins, or are these like? I, I, I do, yeah. And I was actually just I was just getting to that. Um, anyone who's familiar with with float tubing, uh, when I say fins, they're imagining you know these heavy fins, these big fins. Sure. The fins that I actually have, they're they're made by. Um, I actually have two two different pairs of fins. Um, I've got a pair of fins that are made by uh, the same company that that makes my float tube, Wilderness Light. Yep. Uh, and they're they're a light. They're specifically lightweight. I think they weigh like eighteen ounces. The pair of them. And they're not long, right? They're not like the big long flippers like you would wear if you were. No, they're maybe uh, they're maybe like sixteen inches long. Okay. Uh, and and like I said, they're pretty light. They're like eighteen ounces for a pair or something like that. Um, and they actually. They look like they're made out of like a like cardboard, like they're super thin, but they're actually they're really nice. They they work really well. Um, and I've got another pair that's very similar. Um, the only difference being the uh, one of them's made. So this is where it kind of gets weird. Uh, one of them's made to accommodate wading boots, and the other one isn't made to accommodate wading boots interesting right and we'll get to that because you're not wearing so, bo- you're not wearing boots i mean you're wearing no, the, the, wading the boots are way too they're way too heavy to to carry them sure. so what i actually do is i pack in water shoes to put over my neoprene booties of my waders yep and then the flippers and then the flippers over those but on the shorter hike ins, I'll wear wading boots, you know, because I'm wearing my waders and wading boots in. So I've got my other pair of lightweight fins that will fit over the wading boots. How do you decide which flippers you're going to use? Because it, it sounds like, like, why wouldn't you just use the ones from Wilderness Light all the time? Because, um, well, like I said, the, the ones from Wilderness Light, you can only get those over, you know, like water shoes. Um, oh, okay. And if, if, I'm, if I'm hiking into a you know, a quick hike in, and I'm wearing my waders and wading boots in, then I've, I've, I can't wear the light ones because they won't fit over the wading boots. Just one last thing for you, Pat. I get, I get you. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of silliness. 
uh, I guess you could say what it's just one of those could just be one of my quirks, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, you, you also you, you also told me you have multiple like flow tubes. I was gonna ask you about that. Like, why, you know, why don't you just use the Wilderness Light one, or do you? Is these ones you just accumulate over the years? You keep trying new uh, stuff. Kind of like spending money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we all do. No, different. Uh, like I said, the, the the Wilderness Light that's strictly for remote ponds. Um, any any of the other, uh, like like. Um, you know, like like a pond, like like a normal pond. Uh, that that's where I'll use like my super fat cat. Yeah. Uh, you know, because there's no need for the wilderness. Like the super fat cat, you know, you sit high up out of the water. You know, it's just from your knees down that are in. Is that a is that an orange one you have? Yeah, it's like green and orange. Green yeah. Orange. Okay. I'm I'm just uh I'm stalking your Instagram page. Oh, that's here. right. Yeah, you're on my Instagram. Yeah. I see an Outcast one here that's orange. It looks like it's higher up than your blue Wilderness Light one. So. Yeah. 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 Very yeah, cool. That's it. Yeah. Very cool. Um. Now, I'm assuming the ones that are heavier, they must have some more features on them or something. Is that right? Like. They... Um. Yeah, they do. And, and typically, like the only features they have will be like. You know, like you sit up out of the water, or there's more storage. Um, which I mean, how much storage do you need? But that being said, the Wilderness Light, uh, for what it is, has a ton of storage. Um, almost too much storage, if you ask me. Yeah, because I gotta imagine you're you're bringing your pack in, right? And you're leaving yeah. it on you're leaving it on the bank, and a majority of stuff you yeah. don't really need. Yeah. Is so not like your lunch stuff like Wilderness that. Wilderness Light actually makes two float tubes, and I've I've actually got one of each cool um because the first one i bought the original you know the original one that they they sold they made like i said just had way too much storage it just wasn't using it it was heavier uh and then they came out with a lighter you know stripped down version with you know one pocket and i, I bought that and I, I just i love it it's just it's absolutely perfect isn't it funny how like you know in life you usually you keep upgrading to bigger and more, bigger and more, but then you're actually up, upgrading to less, really, you know, like yeah, less storage. Yeah, you know? yeah. We do that, though. Like, I'm the same way, man. I'm always thinking, all right, how can I consolidate? I mean, I used to walk with a backpack up and down the river when I first started. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. And yeah. now I've switched to some sort of vest pack, and, you know, when, it's like... When it comes to hiking in, uh, you just, you learn to... Every ounce matters. Um, yes, it does. <laughs> because after a mile, you start to feel it. So let let's talk real quick about like what uh what are you using for a pack? I I actually saw you posted recently. You're using like one of the the big wicker packs there. Do you use that? Yeah. Um. That's that's if I'm if I'm going to a you know a shorter hike in. Yeah, because uh, they're heavy. And I'm, and I'm carrying my float tube in inflated. Yeah, I'll I'll um. I'll strap my my float tube to the wicker pack. What are you doing that with? Just bungee bungee cord or something like that? What's that? You what are you using like bungee cords to strap it to it? Uh, I use um no I just use like a pair of um I don't know what they call them like in the hiking world but like uh, accessory straps you know okay yeah and are you um when so if you're doing a longer hike though you're bringing in some sort of light lightweight backpack i'm assuming yeah i've actually i've got it i've got it right here um i actually i just bought a new pack um and i i actually i use the um osprey kestrel 
pack or strapped to that pack you've got your lightweight flow tube you've got your yeah. fl- you've got your flippers in there you've got your net probably attached to a d-ring or something like that right uh i've got the net uh there's like this big storage uh type deal on the back that i've got my net and my fins kind of stuffed into oh, okay uh so nothing's like free hanging yeah um but yeah i've got my uh i've got my float tube inside i've got my waders inside um fins net uh, and, uh, life, my, my fanny pack, life jacket, um, any of my gear that I need, you know, fly box, terminal tackle, uh, uh, rain jacket, I always have a rain jacket, uh, a packable rain jacket, because you never know when I'm, nope. when it's going to rain in the ne- mountains. You never know, it could be 0% chance of rain and it's going right. to pour all day. Yeah, yeah, at, at, at 3,000 feet, yeah, you never know what's going to happen. They got their own weather uh, system. Like, like I mentioned, um... Thermal underwear. Yep. Um, and and of course, uh, uh, first aid kit. Um, all, always, always, always first aid kit. Yeah, I mean, what are some things you're like, man? I would never, never be without that. And uh, let me, like, let me ask you another question. Like, you must be packing in some food, right? You have lunch with you or whatever. And... Um, I don't, I don't pack in like a lunch. I pack in like, um, I pack in like uh, some. You know, like cliff bars or you know it's like snacks yeah yeah um yeah you're not bringing like, a I, 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 i've got i've usually got um i've got like a water bottle and then i've got like a frozen bottle of water that i let far out yep you know the course of the day uh and, and also of course I've, I've got my uh i've got my fly rod yeah i was gonna ask you like in terms of i mean you're hiking so i mean i don't know about you but like i I mean, you probably do, but I sweat like a son of a gun, and I'm like, oh, I, I, I'm sweating just sitting here. Yeah. I probably, I probably on a hike, a, you know, a two and a half mile hike in, two and a half miles out, or whatever. Like, I need to drink like a gallon of water. I'm just a big yeah. water guy. Like, do you, uh, do you bring like water filtration stuff with you at all? Yeah. Or? yeah I, so I do carry a Sawyer uh, water filtration system. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cool. Uh, and uh, what else we care? I've got a, uh, a headlamp, just yeah. because a lot of times there are, there are times I am hiking in or hiking out in the dark. Great to have, and you're not in, you're not in cell phone service very often. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I should have a compass as well. Uh, I, I I carry um, uh, you know carry like a um, like a multi tool with me, and just a, a lot of it is just just in case stuff. Yeah, like mat. You bring like mat, like waterproof matches yeah. with you, yeah. like stuff like that. Um, and of course, uh, you know my water shoes that I that I put over my my uh, neoprene uh, feet. Sure. Um, but all all this this whole this whole kit and caboodle, um, it actually it weighs under twenty pounds. That was that was my next question for you. So how much weight are we talking here? Because I've gone with like a, I've gone with a forty pound pack before, and it sucks. Yeah, no, this uh, actually, because uh, I, I kind of anticipated this this topic coming up, so actually I weighed it tonight. Nice. And yeah, I, I, I got uh, I got anywhere from like seventeen to nineteen pounds on on my scale. Very cool, man. I mean, you so, you you could you know for those two mile in places or three two and a half mile places, like 
you could you could bring in a lightweight tent and get away with that yeah. too. You oh, know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Fine. Yeah, and and if I if I was to do overnights, what I would probably do is like a, a hammock. Oh yeah, it's a great idea with like a bug yeah. screen, like a bug screen hammock on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've uh, never slept in yeah. one of those, but it sounds it seems like a great idea because it's so lightweight, you know. And yeah, yeah, and you know, it just I, I try and keep it as basic, even even down to you know, I, I try and bring the smallest uh, fly box as possible. I, just, I I bring you know a very basic. Like I said, these, these fish aren't usually they're not very picky, uh, so just a very basic. Uh, assortment of flies just anywhere i can save weight and and i could probably get this pack lighter too but probably right now i have, i think i think i've got it pretty good right now yeah if you're under 20 pounds you that's pretty comfortable man yeah. um and you're telling me you have two water bottles in there too I mean, that's a lot yeah. like <laughs> that's probably yeah, that, yeah, that quite a, a few pounds right there so do you um do you when do you start going every year? Like, do you like wait till like Memorial Day, or you kind of like an ISO guy? Like, when do you um, when do you start? So this year, this year was a wicked, uh, a wicked exception. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we were actually we were able to get into a lot of these ponds like a month early. Yep. Um, usually, usually it's not until like late May that you start fishing the majority of these ponds some of these some of the lower elevation uh like backcountry style ponds you can get into around you know um you can get into around opening weekend which is the fourth saturday in april um the water's gonna be cold but yeah you can usually get into them the higher elevation ponds, um, you know, 18 to, you know, 22, 2400 feet. Yeah, you're looking at late May. Yeah, is that be, that's because of probably both ice out and, like, do you ever just find you're a little too early? The fish aren't really quite active yet. Yeah, or? I mean, timing, one thing I've learned on these remote ponds is timing is everything. Yeah. Timing is absolutely everything. Um it, sometimes it, it's ridiculous how how much timing takes uh, takes place. You know, it just yeah, it's crazy sometimes. What do you mean? Like you could be there like a day early, and then you go the next week or yeah. whatever, and it's just lights out or something, and it was really yeah. bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. can just be there at the complete wrong time. Sure. And, or the complete right time, right? Yeah, or more, and again, it's, it's honestly, it's more times than not the right time. Um, but if you're just if you're there on a day where they're just not in the mood, forget about it. Now, to talk some more technical fishing, are you are you a um, like what's your favorite fishing with dries on a pond? Or are you more of like a try to figure it out below surface? Um, I don't really have a preference. To tell you the truth, I mean, yeah, you can't you can't really beat dry fly fishing. Um, but you also, I don't know, there's some of the mystery of, you know, fishing a pond with, like, a, a sink tip or a sinking line, and when you hook that fish, you, you know, it's like, okay, you know, you, you don't you, you, you don't physically see that fish until, you know, it's up and close, unlike with a dry fly, you know? Sure. Um, now, do you bring in a spare spool with you with, like, a sink tip or a sink yeah, line? Yeah, 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 I do, yeah. Unless, unless I'm going to a pond that I know is, like, because there are some ponds that are, like, just absolute dry fly ponds. Yeah. Um, that's when I'll bring in like a three weight with just a floating line. Sure. And those, and those ponds are generally shallow, um, so there's really no need for a, a sinking line. But yeah, 
I'll, I'll bring in, um, on, on a, a general trip, I'll bring in a, a floating line, a sink tip, and a, a full sink, yeah. Oh, so you bring all three in. Yeah. When yeah. do you, uh, because I'm not super, like, I haven't fished ponds for a while, and I have all of that line, and I've used all that line, but when do you decide whether it's better to use, like, a sink tip versus a full sink line? Is it depth mostly, or is it time of year? Um, that's one of those things that I honestly think is um, all up in your mind. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> that's why I'm granted, asking. <laughs> granted, a lot of, granted, a lot of our ponds uh, in New Hampshire, um, I'd say on average a lot of our ponds are like 15, 20 feet at the most. Yeah. So you can effectively fish that with just a sink tip. Um, but there, there, you know, there are times where, you know, you're fishing with a sink tip and you're not getting anything, you're not getting anything. And then you put that full sinker on and you start getting fish. And I think it's just one of those mental, it's almost like that saying, trust your fly. You know, you, the more you trust your fly, the better it's going to work for you. You know, um. Now, in, ter- in terms of in terms of fishing subsurface, because I think I think dry flies. Uh, well, I guess I'll, I'll ask this about dry flies. Do you fish a dry with a dropper often on ponds, or are you just no, like straight I, out I dry fly? I can't stand I can't stand dry dropper setups on ponds or in rivers or just in, in general. In general, I can't stand them. What what uh what bugs you about them? I and honestly, I can I can tell you from experience, you do end up foul hooking a lot of fish because of them. You want to yeah, you end up foul hooking fish. Um, in my, yeah, I don't know, I could just be, it's, it's just, it's probably just me, but in like my instance, yeah, you, you foul hook fish and you, you know, you snag and stuff like that, uh, snag on bottom and stuff like that. I just, what I don't like about them is now you've got two things to pay attention to. Yep. Um, and, and it's always in the back of my mind, like you've got to pay attention to, you know, is, is your dropper rig, is it? tangled around your dry or your 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 leader so it's just it's just too much going on for me no so so you're a one fly guy basically then. yeah i mean there are times like in rivers like small streams and stuff and there are times when you know the fish just don't want to come up top yeah uh or if you're dealing with a more difficult fish like like wild browns or, or even at times wild rainbows um where yeah, they just they don't want to come up. So yeah, there are times you've got to put a a dropper on. Or if I if I come to a pool and and I either you know turn a big fish or hook a fish, um, you know you're not getting that fish back with that fly. Sure. Because they know. But if you put a dropper on, there's a chance that you'll get that fish because they haven't seen that dropper. Um, it actually. Um, Oddly enough, and here I am slandering uh, dropper rigs that actually happened to me this weekend. Uh, I was fishing a, a small stream. I, I actually very briefly hooked a nice brookie. Came off a couple drifts through. You know, didn't see him, so I put a, a, a small um, like a grub nymph that you know Jimmy sells over at Elder Brothers. Yeah. And first drift, nailed him. Interesting. So, Interesting. But, but I don't, I don't, I don't prefer them. I don't, I'm not a fan of them. And I, I, I've never, never seen a, never seen a reason for them in ponds, in my opinion. 
in my experience. Do you do a lot of nymphing uh, in the streams? No, not really. No. No, in, in small streams, it's mostly dry so that I do. Right, so you're there that you're there like time of year where you're not really needing to. And, and let's yeah. be honest, small streams you don't really need to get down. They're like a foot deep. You know what I mean? They're not. Really, yeah, yeah. They're not. They're not big. Whatever. So yeah, I was gonna ask you like, are you a? Um, I'm assuming you've like nymphfished before. Are you like an indicator guy? You're a tight line guy. <clears throat> Just kind of like whatever. Um, so like in in rivers and streams, like if I'm just about the only time I'll nymph is if I'm if I am putting a dry dropper on. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But in a pond, um, I don't I don't really do it on on remote ponds, but on like uh, you know like a, a normal you know regular low pond. Yeah, I I indicate coronamids all the time. On ponds, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you about that because I know some people that do that very successfully. Oh, it's probably, honestly, to tell you the truth, it's probably the best way to fish a pond. So, not... The biggest trout I've I've caught out of a pond was on a size 16 coronavid. Crazy. And that that was about a 10-pound rainbow. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. You're you're on my Instagram. You can find it. I saw it. I saw it. That's it. I was, and I see that you're in a pond, so I, therefore, I, I was thinking at first, like, geez, that might be, like, out in New York or something. Same in no, no, that was, oh. that was right here in New Hampshire, yeah. That's awesome. Are you, uh, now, I know a lot of guys do that early season. Do they do, do you ever do it later, summer, fall? Or is it more just early season fishing? You fish with the chronomids and the indicator? No, it's, it's, uh, I mean, the, the beautiful thing about chronomids and, and why they're so effective is because they are constantly in the water. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they are right, and they're they're everywhere. So I mean, early season, late season, you name it. I mean, coronamids, you know, midges are the only, are really the only insect that hatch as long as there's open water. I've been I've been ice fishing, and and I've had you know looked looked in a in a hole, and there are coronamids hatching. It's crazy. You know, as long as there's open water, coronamids will hatch. It's funny because I know that they're they're a year round hatching bug, but also like I don't even think about them that much in the summertime. I think about them more in the cold water times, you know. And, and I don't know why. Yeah, I think it's because they're mean, more abundant that time of year than anything else. I don't really fish ponds in the summertime. Um, like the dog days of summer is when I really um, fish the small streams and stuff, sure. uh, unless. Again, like in certain circumstances, there are a couple ponds that I know of that do stay cold. Yeah. But I will fish those. But like you get some of these guys that, that they'll fish ponds throughout the summer and they'll, you know, they'll fish spring seeps and stuff like that. I, I think that's about as unsporting as, as fishing reds, you know. Um, leave just leave the fish alone. Yeah, I agree with you there, Sean. And I know some, and, I know know some ponds honestly, in Maine that people even, do that. Even if you're fishing over springs, you probably about a 90 percent chance that that fish is dying so right right because they're there for a reason they're trying to see right, re- they're right. trying to seek refuge let them, let them hang out give them hell in the fall yeah yeah that's a great message for people and you know at the end of the day um uh, no unless unless you're gonna unless you're planning on doing it to keep a couple of fish sure. then that's a totally different story sure absolutely yeah yeah but i i know if i've known of people and seen people on ponds where there's you know, one spring hole or there's two spring holes and they're just sitting there and they're, yeah. I would say they're fishing like a muddler minnow or something like that, kind of yeah, nymphing yeah. it up, so to say. And it's kind of like after a while, um, 
you know, you're like, all right, well, if you're not keeping that fish, it doesn't seem super ethical. Yeah, they're not yeah. there. They're not there to feed. They're there to seek refuge. You know, and you're right, right, taking advantage of a situation. You know? Just let them hang out. Um, let me ask you this, just because I haven't done a lot of it, and I've I've been reading about it, I've been studying a little bit. Uh, I didn't get any chances this spring to get out and do it, but what's your setup for the for the chronomet? So what, you're running a floating line. What are you doing for a leader? All that. Um. So when I'm fishing chronomets, and again, uh, I'll reiterate, I don't for whatever reason I don't do it on remote ponds. Um. I I don't, I don't know why I don't. I just haven't had the need to. I guess. Uh, so it, again, it's just something I do on you know these these you know normal like i'll call them you know regular ponds yeah um, but you're in a float you're in a flow tube still i mean you're kind of doing yeah, the, yeah. the, the uh, back I mean, you know, still fishing with a flow tube um and what i'll what i run uh is i'll run a nine and a half foot rod um just because it, it'll give you a little bit of a lot of guys even go up to a 10 foot um i just i haven't done that because i don't have a 10 foot rod yeah uh, but I'll, I'll use a nine and a half foot rod usually like a six weight um I'll use a, a some sort of some sort of you know uh, either like an outbound style line or a Titan taper uh, style line, something that's um, you know got a heavy front end that can turn that indicator over. Yep. And I'll usually um, you get you get some guys that they'll they'll talk about you know and having an indicator the whole you know it's as long as the water is deep. You know, you get some of these guys that are fishing twenty foot indicators. So they have um, a twenty, they have a twenty foot leader on, and they're putting the indicator yeah, at the very yeah, top where it yeah, meets the fly yeah, line. Yeah, but they have a twenty foot leader, uh, which is just, in my opinion, kind of silliness. Well, you don't need it, right? Like they, yeah, they usually take them it. as you're stri- uh, as you're stripping majority, back, right? The majority of fish, the majority of trout, are feeding within ten to six feet deep. Yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's usually where I concentrate. Sure. Um, so any, and, and the leader that I run, I don't run a tapered leader because the problem with a tapered leader with an indicator is it doesn't sink straight. It sinks at an angle. So if you have that, that indicator set at, um, six feet, you're going to lose about three feet over the course of that angle. So you're really going to be fishing about three feet deep, not six feet. So are you building, are you building your own leader? Nope. I use just a level piece of, uh. Like one X tippet. Oh, okay. And how long is that? And um, you know, again, it'd be usually like six to ten feet long. And um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to cast, but you're fishing deep, so it doesn't need to be you know a, a perfect cast. Yeah. Uh, and then that level, that level line just allows that in that that nymph, that coronamid, uh, just to sink straight. Interesting. And that gives you gives you less slack so you're you're gonna you're gonna detect strikes quicker you're gonna detect detect any movement in that indicator quicker um and then it's just gonna let you um fish you know a true true set depth you know now sean is your indicator always at the very top of your leader where it meets your fly line um that's typically where i'll start up um and i'll adjust it from there uh sometimes i end up you know a foot or two or three or you know in the middle you know um but yeah i, I just would always start at, at the deepest so so to, to break it down for people you're running a 10 foot leader usually of 1x and then you might move your indicator down three or four feet 
so that you're yeah. getting down six feet, so to say, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. And, and I'll just wait until you know. I'll, I'll then let the fish decide. Once I once I have that indicator set at a certain spot and I'm catching fish, that's where I'll leave it. Do you find that the fish take kind of when it's just dead drifting, or more if you're like maybe stripping it in a little bit, or? Uh, I've I've had both work. Um, it, it almost seems like it depends on the day or what's going on uh there are times yeah taking a dead drift uh times where i'm just crawling it in um and other times you know you just give it a quick strip just to move it what are you using for what are you using for an indicator so typical thingamabobber or uh no no um uh, and that's actually that's a really good question uh for a lot of people of who aren't familiar with with indicator fishing still waters I use what they call uh, quick set or, or quick release indicators. Um, and what that is, it's, a, it's a, a foam indicator that has a plastic stop. And you, you put your leader through the plastic stop. And then you, in a, in a sense, you, you, you pull the stop out and you can peg your indicator along your leader and when you set your hook your peg releases and so your indicator can now free slide along your leader interesting and uh are those know, like uh, white are they like white and orange or like white or like yellow they, they, and orange they make a bunch of different colors um i know what you're yeah. talking about i've never used yeah. one but i do know what you're talking about yeah and they, and they make it so that you know if you're set at 20 feet deep you know, you can you can bring your your leader into your guides so you can net the fish. Interesting. Um, yeah, they're they're actually and you can use them in rivers. Uh, they're they're honestly, um, I don't know why more people don't use them. I mean, just because you can you can adjust your your depth way easier than you could with like a thingamabobber or a, um, like a fill style indicator. What are um, they called again, Sean? They got two names. They're they're either um, they either go by a, a quick set indicator or a quick release indicator. And some some people actually call them slip indicators too. Um, so three names. Interesting. Yeah. No. They're 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 pretty. Uh, like they're pretty self like, self releasing. Yeah. Yeah. They're. Huh. Oh yeah, I see it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what I thought, but I've never used it before. Oh, you should you should definitely try it. Like it's Is it it's, easier to is it do you find it's easier to decast or is it more of a detection thing? Um I don't know if they're easier to cast. I mean I use larger ones, so they're they're not really easy to cast and like I said, I'm not using a tapered leader. Yeah. So I mean the cat the whole casting as, aspect isn't really that great to begin with, but sure. You don't again. You don't. You're fishing. You're fishing down. You're fishing vertically down. So you don't need to get distance, really. Yeah. You, um, in chronomids, for people who don't, I mean, they're basically midge patterns, right? Yeah. And they're they're yeah, small, they're, they're, small. Uh, the larval, the larval stage of a midge. Yeah. Are you fishing one or two or just um? When, no, when just, fish, just, just one. one. Again, it, it's I just, I I don't like multiple uh, multiple. Um, setups you know multiple fly rigs are you sure you, are you sure you, that jim's not your father or his long-lost son or something jim and i uh from from personality sides jim and i pr- 
probably do have a lot in common. Um, Maybe he was a mailman back in the day, Sean. You just don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I thought, I don't know. I mean, I could have sworn, uh, I don't know. I, I, I've got a, I've got a beard and and I, I don't know. That's turn, funny. Turn this beard white and who knows? He is like the he is like the um, I don't know a good word for it, but he loves to just fish one fly, right? Like he hates multiple. You, you want to have a good discussion, and maybe you have, but go in and talk to him about fishing chartreuse colored flies in salt water. Interesting. <laughs> you want you want your mind blown? Talk to Jimmy about chartreuse flies and salt, and not in freshwater. He's fine with them in freshwater, but salt water—that's a totally different ball game. Interesting. You, you, want, you want your mind blown? It's very uh, popular in salt water. I know that. So not, a, not but not in uh, his world. Just ask Jimmy about it. Man, he he's he's funny because he's the type of guy where you'll be like, oh yeah, I do this and I do this, and he'll go, really? I don't do that. You know, <laughs> this is how I do it, and you're like, it makes you leave there, and you're like. Am I like? You, you, think, you think you're gonna impress him? You think you're gonna impress him? He's like, why would you do that? I don't think he's ever impressed by any fishing stories. I think he's more impressed by things you do in terms of like, you know, good yeah. good things, right? Like you give flies yeah, to kids, Jim. you know, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah. Jim Jim's a super nice guy, but yeah. he's very very easily could be mistaken as a as a curmudgeon. But he's he's a very nice guy. He just <laughs> he like he likes the he likes the the. Simpler things, I guess you could say. He does. He's a minimalist guy too, you know. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, he, he likes the finer things, but the simpler things, you know. Um, I feel bad that he doesn't fish more. That's why I always say to him, "I can't, I can't believe how best, little you fish," you know. The best thing I heard him say is, "I, I don't fish. I only talk about it." It's funny. <laughs> I mean, he does not fish a lot, you know. But I know that the time he does get away, he really cherishes it, and uh, it's uh he goes back to the same places every year, you know. And, yeah, and, and I'll uh, tell you, you got any any question on any scenario, Jim can answer it. I mean, the guy yeah. is just a um, yeah, he's just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, it's, really it's funny because I've never fished with him. I've always wanted to, but it's always like yeah, I, he's never like fishing really, you know. And I, um, yeah. I uh, for the first time, I ran into him on a on a river in Maine here. And I was actually guiding, and my client, you know, he'd been having a good morning. He's a guy I've been taking the last couple of years. He's really cool, and he um, he was having a good morning and stuff. And we were in this we were in this certain section of the river, and uh, who pops up behind me? But but Jim and I said, "Hey, how's it going?" And stuff. And he's like, "Good." He's like, "Ah," oh. he's like, "I just walked all the way up here with my buddy." He goes, "I haven't fished up here in a few years." And I'm like, "Well, Jim, I'm like, hop in. You know, we're good. We've been." And he's like, "No, no." He's like. He's like, you're working. He's like, you're, you're good. You got it. And I was like, Jim, we've caught plenty of fish this morning. Like, honestly, you know, hop in the river. And he was like, no, no, no. You're, you're, you're. I'm like, you just walked all the way up here to fish this area. Yeah. Fish no, it. Jim, and he Jim's didn't do it. He left. I was like, man, should have fished it. I felt bad because I was like, you know, you walked all the way up here. Go ahead. You know, yeah, on, no, on the river. Jim, Jim's one of those guys. He'll, he'll do just about anything for you. Yeah. He's a sweetheart. He's a nice yeah, guy. Yeah, he definitely is. And, and he's totally into, like, like I mentioned earlier, my, my family has a, a two-acre pond, and, and we saw it go with trout. And it took me a while to kind of tell him about it because I kind of thought he'd, like, turn his nose up at it. You know, and I, I feed the trout, you know. And uh, I thought he'd, like, turn his nose up at and all, you know, artificial fit. No, he thinks that, like, he's always asking me about, oh, he's, like, totally interested in it. And I'm always like, dude, come over and, and fish anytime you want. So I'll, I'll give you the key to the gate, go down, and, you know, just have a 
but he's always asking me about it and always asking me about stuff around like the pond and like maintenance and stuff and just you know man I, really nice guy he is i uh i often wonder what's going to happen with eldridge brothers when he someday calls it quits but i don't know if he will i don't know if jim knows how to call it quits <laughs> and i'll tell you right now jim jim's talents are not limited to uh fly fishing because uh, I'll say he used to be a, a cabinet maker, and his woodworking is phenomenal. Well, he's very precise, and it's got to be done. Oh, he's, he's very, very precise. It's, it's his and way. He, I could see that for sure. I could see him being really he, good at something like that. Ron, he showed me. He built a net. I think it was like last year. He built a net for a friend of his, and he had it in the shop. He was showing it to me, and that thing was just like it was the most beautiful net I've ever seen. Yeah. Just immaculate, right? Like he's he's not oh, gonna it was. It was, it was, anything. It was part, and like he went to hand it to me, and like I went to grab it, and like pulled away. He's like, "Hold on." He's like, "Check your hands. Are they dirty?" I'm like, "What? <laughs> like, I don't want you getting dirty." I'm like, "Jesus Christ, okay." <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds like Jim. I love him. I love Ellis Brothers. My favorite fly shop, and I... yeah, no, they they are they are an awesome shop, and and yeah. you know Jimmy's awesome. Tom's, awesome. I I love going in there talking to Tom. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever did you ever meet uh, Young Tom who who's out in Montana? No, no, he was he was before my time. Gotcha. I uh I went out to Montana four years ago now for the first yeah. time, and I had been talking to Jim and stuff where I left, and I was like, I gotta I gotta go out with Young Tom, and and my dad yeah, and I, yeah. my dad and I went out with him, and dude, it was like the funniest day of fishing I've ever. Oh been yeah, he's, he sounds like a totally hot shit. He's a riot. He's just yeah. absolutely uh-huh. hilarious. So, just another product, product of Elders Brothers, you know. Yeah, and, and I used to love going in there and then talking to like James and stuff. Um, but obviously, you know, James has, oh, yeah. has other things going on. Yep. Um, yeah, James was awesome to go in and talk to. I want to. Uh, James told me I could go out with him this year for Stripers, and I just I haven't really had a lot of time. And I yeah. I know he's working. I know his time's valuable and stuff. And I, uh, but I'd love to get out with him. He sounds like a nut on the water. So. Oh, he's he's. Oh, he's, he's one of the fishiest guys you'll ever meet, yeah. He is. He's crazy. It's funny that he, like, goes for, like, those big tuna and stuff, too, you know? And Oh, yeah. Yeah, he has, like, no fear fishing. of any fish. Yeah he's, yeah, he's pretty wild. That's awesome. Um, yeah, he's pretty cool. So, I guess to kind of finish up the backcountry stuff, because you've given some great details, right? And, like, is there anything that we feel like we missed? Um... I don't. I, mean, it's, uh, I don't. I don't know. Uh, Let me ask you this question: what What would you say to new people who are looking to try this for like for the first time? Because I think a lot of people they've been to a backcountry pond, right, and they've fished out of a canoe or something. But it's like it's different when you get the float tube. You know, it could yeah. probably be intimidating for people. You know, and, and um, the- I'd have to say, you know, if, if you if you're going to if you're going to a backcountry pond for the first time, um, don't be intimidated, um, but go prepared. And just stay positive, have fun. It, a lot of it is up in your head. Um, cover water. Um, and, and like I said, you know, a lot of... Lot of what, do you lot look of for, what do you look for, Sean, when you're not seeing rises when you're in a pond? Like, do you look for rock structure? Um, I will start... So if I'm not seeing rises, when I, when I get to a pond, any pond, if I'm not seeing... First thing I look for is rises. Um, and I'll, I'll take, I'll take a couple minutes before I even get on the water just to watch. And if I'm not seeing rises or, or enough rises to make me want to fish on top, 
um, that's when I'll fish subsurface, and that's when I'll I'll start fishing the shoreline, and I'll just I'll work my way out and with a dry line. Uh, typically, if, if I'm if I'm fishing subsurface, I'll typically just put a uh, a sink tip on. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, I, I usually like uh, I usually like a Type Three uh, sink tip. Okay. Um, you know, something that doesn't fish, uh, something that doesn't sink too fast, but can get you down if you need to. And what do you, and, what do you usually fish in? What's like your searching, uh, subsurface fly without giving away any of your secrets really? But. Um, there's, there's no secret. Um, it really doesn't, it all really depends on the matter, the, on, on the mood of the fish. Um, woolly buggers are a great pattern. Yep. Um, again, you gotta realize these are brook trout too. Um, so any brightly colored fly, cause you know, brookies and bright flies, they love them. They love them. Uh, so, you know, wood specials, those have been a really good fly for me on the remote ponds. Yes. Um, uh, God, that's a, that's a popular one here in Maine, Sean, I gotta tell you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and honestly, one of the best, in my opinion, one of the best remote pond flies, uh, is, is a, a wood duck heron. Huh. Uh, it what just, colors is what colors does that have in it? Is it just regular brown wood duck? Uh, a, a traditional a traditional wood duck heron is um it's really it's just two materials. It's a uh, it's a um it's a wood duck uh feather. Yep. And a, a collar that's just um like a, a hackle collar. Interesting. And it's usually like a usually like a naturally colored um uh, wood duck, uh, wood duck flank, and and like a gray collar, but you can tie it. Uh, another good combination is you know the 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 natural wood duck flank and an orange collar. That's a good that's a good combination. It's almost like a um, oh my god, I can't a hornberg in some ways, right? Um, similar to that. Almost, almost. I mean the 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 mallard flank, the the wood duck flank is actually it's it's palmered. Oh okay. Uh, so it, it it can be it can be in such a versatile pattern. It can be anything from a, and that's actually that's a that's a New Hampshire fly, uh, and that that can be anything from a, a bait fish to a um, hexagenian nymph. Yep. Um, you name it. It's just a really versatile fly, and, and I just I cannot stress enough fish flies that can be any anything. Um, don't fish a specific imitation. Fish something that can, you know, like a woolly bugger. It can be a leech. It can be a, a minnow. It can be a, a dragonfly nymph. It can be, you know, whatever the fish wants it to be. That that's what I can't stress enough is is fish. Fish suggestive patterns. Do you ever do you ever feel like the fish are like picky? I mean, all signs point to you saying they're not super picky. But if you fish like a like a like a bugger as a dragonfly nymph, right? Like a dragonfly nymph is typically they're crawling kind of up the shore, right? Like up out of the water. So do you like do you ever fish like from near shore and kind of strip it back towards the shore, or are you always um, in the middle? Dragon dragonfly nymphs there. They're a really cool bug, and, and I love dragon. I've got an obsession with dragonfly nymphs. Um, you can fish them if if there's like an emergence going on. Yeah, that's when you want to uh, uh, cast them towards the deeper water and retrieve them towards the shallower. Um, but they they live they live as the nymph stage for you know three or four years, so they're all throughout the water column. 
Right, and they're just they're just crawlers, all right. They just crawl out and then they hatch on a rock. They they swim. Oh, they're they're phenomenal swimmers. They they swim all over. I didn't know that. Interesting. Oh, oh, those things are they're quite ornery too. They'll they'll eat things that are two or three times their size. Look at those big ass black eyes on them. I've seen that before. Oh, those things. Dragon flyknips are awesome. I I love. I actually I tie a really cool uh, deer hair dragon flyknips. Cool. And do you? Do you, uh, when you say there's an emergence, what do you mean? Are you seeing, like, a lot of adults flying around, or are you talking? Yeah, yeah so you can, um, if there's a lot of, if you're on a pond, all of a sudden you realize, holy cow, there's a lot of dragonflies flying around. There's probably been an emergence while you're there. Another thing to look for is, along the shoreline, um, look for, sh- uh, uh, like, shocks. Yes. And actually, <laughs> I've had them, I've had them crawl out of the shoreline up onto my backpack and emerge on my backpack very cool yeah it is pretty cool that's very cool to see and and uh another so you talked about hexes and um the hex nymphs in maine a lot of people use uh like a, the maple syrup pattern yeah, the maple syrup, yeah. now are you uh are you stripping that quickly through the water column because i've heard that's kind of a good imitation for that so i've never i've never actually fished a maple syrup but uh well, like like a hex hatch or yeah, whatever you. Yeah, I'm fishing a hex hatch. Uh, the last hex hatch I fished uh, was up in northern New Hampshire. Um, was it back in June? Um, I was fishing a, a wood duck. Started out fishing a wood duck heron, and yeah, I was kind of fishing it. Uh, I would say fast, but but briskly. Yeah. And a lot of and a lot of times they were actually taking it on the fall. Oddly enough. Interesting. Interesting. So as it's dropping down after you cast it, not on the strip, yeah. huh? Yeah, huh. and, that's, and that's really the only time I've seen those fish be picky is during a hex hatch. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, you know, you're not going to go out in the middle of a hex hatch and you're not going to have luck with a, you know, stimulator. Right, exactly. They want something big, so. Yeah, I fished a green dray catch. I've never hit, fished a hex hatch. I hit a green dray catch, and it was it was silly, dude. You could get I, them sitting, you yeah. get them stripping. It didn't matter. <laughs> This is, man, that was like the highlight of that trip was just, and I hit it by complete just sheer luck. Like it was real early in the season. Um, it was just sheer luck and it just, it was so awesome. It was just, I was on this backcountry pond alone. Uh, it was just, there's a pair of loons that were calling back and forth to each other, just fish rising everywhere. It's best. <laughs> and I mean, it was just like I could, you know, the the good the good Lord could strike me down right now, and I wouldn't have anything to say about it. You yeah, know? if that's just, what heaven looks just, like, send me up, you know. <laughs> yeah, like just hold on, let me finish this beer, and I'll be right there. Right. <laughs> um, it was just it made the trip, you know. It's just and and the only reason I knew about it is because I was fishing that same pond that morning, and at ten o'clock in the morning, hexes were coming off. That's so cool. So I was like, I'm coming back here tonight, and yeah, I I hit it like, oh, it was crazy. It was just fish everywhere. I, I probably awesome. caught, no exaggeration, I probably caught like 30 or 40 fish that how, night. And how fun is it to watch them chowing down a huge, Oh, it's natural even, not even just your fly, just watch them oh, get a natural. Oh, they, they demolish. Yeah. Oh, putting them. It's like, it's like, it's like it's raining rocks. How does you know, your, uh, just, how does your, uh. How do your tactics change up in the fall? Are you fishing more subsurface stuff in the fall, like September? Um, earlier, earlier in the fall, um, 
you know, you, fish, you can still fish on top. Uh, you still have those hatches. As the as it gets colder and you get into October, up towards the close of the season, that's when um, start going towards like more brightly colored flies, like uh, Mickey Finn or something like that. Fish shallow. Yeah. Um, like you're yeah, fishing them, you're fishing them up against the banks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And is that because I've I've heard and it's kind of like that with smallmouth too. Like the bait fish, they move towards the bank more because it's it's just warmer there. Yeah, uh, and it, it could be. I always I always assumed is that those fish, you know, they're getting ready to spawn. Yeah, that's uh, true. So too. they're they're moving in the shallow water, you know, finding that you know good spawning area. And, and again, a lot of these, even though these ponds are stocked, a lot of them do have natural reproduction. Um, it's true. No, I, I know that. I see that and, with stock and, fish here in, in Maine all the time. They're they're spawning or trying to yeah. spawn or whatever. And and, and it, it's just I I've always racked up to a matter of they're in that you know they're spawning mood and they see that brightly colored fly and just out of pure aggression you know they they hit it. So. Very cool. Very but, cool. When do you stop fishing? Usually mid October. Um, the remote ponds. I'll usually, I'll usually fish as close to the the close of the season, which is October fourteenth, uh, as I can. Um, but that being said, I mean, once you get into October in the mountains, I mean, you're, you're talking mornings in the mid twenties to low thirties. Um, yeah, that's chilly. So, so yeah, it's chilly. And so I, I, I typically, you know, second week into October, I, I generally start fishing, um, you know, the, the, the regular, you know, low, you know, stocked ponds. Yeah, it's funny um, and kind of almost off topic, but going back, you talked about wind earlier. We didn't talk about wind a lot. And wind on ponds is a... I love wind. It's a huge... Um, it's a huge game changer, right? And, I and love wind. So tell me why you tell me why you love it because I often find that I hate it. Everybody but that, hates it. Everybody hates wind. As a fly fisherman, you're supposed to hate wind. Yeah. So back to you know still water tactics uh, and showing up on a pond and you're not sure where these fish go. If it's windy, the first place I'm going is the shoreline that the wind's blowing against. Interesting. Because that's blowing all sorts of stuff against that shoreline. Yep. And those trout are going to cruise up and down. It's a, it's a buffet. And the wind and the wind is at your back as you're casting through there too. Right, exactly. And on top, it's gonna it's gonna help your casting. Yeah. Um. You know, it's gonna give you distance, and also because that chop on the water, it's gonna hide your you know your your shitty casts. Yep. Um. Now, granted, there's a there's an exception to every rule, and I've I've had days where they're not on the windswept shoreline. Yep. But, um, I, I look at the wind as an indicator, um, where to go. Makes sense. Um, Makes a ton of sense. I'm talking more like a, you're talking like a steady blowing wind though. I'm, I think what I think of when I think of wind on a pond, I'll be in an area, right. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see a rise, you know, I don't know, 40, yard, 40 yards away. So I paddle over, right? And uh, I get over there and bam, wind kicks up, ripples over the water. And then I'll look back and there's no wind where I just was and there's friggin' fish rising over there now. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's where I touched base on earlier where I just, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, um, you don't care. Chase, I, I don't chase rises. Yeah. 
Yeah, you'll still cast in the show. Exactly why? Because you you get so infatuated by it. Yeah. That you're not focusing on where all the other fish are. You're just focusing on where those fish are. Yeah, I mean, and if you think about it, the fish that rose and now there's wind there, like they're still most likely hanging there. You know. Yeah. If I'm like I said, when I get to a pond, I look for rising fish first. And if I get to a pond, if I see five fish rising, I'm not fishing on top. Yeah, it's not enough for you. No, if I get to a pond and there's a ton of fish, I'm fishing on top. But if there's a rise here, a rise there, right? I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not. It's not worth it. Interesting. Well, that's in, my, in my opinion. Yeah, no, again, that's really. Again, they are. They again. I can. I can think of a pond off the top of my head. A very high elevation pond where there could be nothing going on. You go out in the middle of the pond and you throw a, a stimulator, and you'll have three fish come up to grab. They'll just take it. Yeah. Yeah, um, I love that. So, do, you, do you ever feel like, because uh, I talk about this sometimes with people, and I see, I mean, I see it happen where um, you almost in some ways create your own hatch. Like if you just keep throwing the same bug, basically, in the same manner, it's almost like, yeah, do you ever I, feel I, like I, you're, you're doing that in some ways? Uh, I've never really thought about it in that, but I, I have heard of that. I have heard that saying, but I've never really thought of it that way. Yeah, well, also because the fish that you're fishing for, like you said, they're not really super picky, so it's not right. like... As long as, as long as there's, you know, they think something just fell in the water that they can eat, they're not going to pass it up. Right, right, exactly. Do you... And, and when, they, when they do, even when they do get picky, a lot of the times it's as long as you match... You know, not even like it doesn't even have to be the size, the color, just silhouette. Silhouette, yeah, yeah. I think profile is more important than size yeah, yeah, and yeah. color a lot of the time. Yeah, it's um to me like I just fish a lot of like parachute stuff, you know, too. Something I can see real quick and yeah, because um, but I don't know on a pond. Do you ever like fish stuff that's so small you can't see it, and then you're just kind of looking? No, no, no. I don't know. No freaking way, no. Good for you. That's awesome. No, I don't. I don't do that shit. <laughs> I, listen, I'm a, I'm a welder, and so at the end of the day, my eyes like are wicked sore. Yeah. So on my day off, I'm not straining my eyes any more than I have to. You want to go somewhere you can fish big dry flies? Yeah. I get yeah. it. I love it. All right. Well, listen, Sean. To uh, to end the podcast episodes, I've started the last few times doing like kind of a rapid fire five quick questions. Yeah. Um I can't, I tried to come up with a name for it this week called the Rapid Fly 5. I, don't, I don't, you got I don't know, you got anything? Get something better than that. Sounds awful. But <laughs> trying, The Rapid what did you just call the Rapid The Rapid Fly 5. I don't I don't know. I'm trying to come up with some name. I want to end say, every episode. Did you, say, did you say rapid or rapping? Like rapid, like I'm going to ask you quickly. I'm going to ask you quickly. Rapping. I'm like what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I'm trying to end every episode with the same five questions for people, just to, and really quick, not like big details, you know, just short stuff. So I don't know. If you come up with something, let me know. It's uh, I'm trying to find a good name for it. So I, I like that one, the, the rapid fly five. Yeah, I guess I guess that's what I'm I'm gonna go with for now at least. So yeah, I mean, I I, I like it. All right, are you ready? I guess. All right. So uh, these are just quick. You don't need to, like, explain or anything. Just they can be as short as long as you want. Put it that way, okay? So first question, uh, what is your favorite species to fish for? Uh, uh, oh, you 
putting me on the spot. Uh, I'd have to say Trout. Any Trout? Brook Trout? Yeah. Brooke Trout. A- a- any Trout, really. Rainbows, Browns, Brookies, yeah. Okay. Um, what is your favorite season to fish in and why? Fall. Uh, the colors. The foliage, the colors of the fish. Just, yeah, fall. And, and less people in the water. And it's just cool, right? Like, it's cooled yeah. down. feels yeah. nice. Yeah. I love it. And it's like, it's almost like a last trip before winter, you know? It's like Yeah, a, yeah, it's a last hurrah, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, I like this question because it puts you, it does put you on the spot. What is your all-time favorite fly to fish? Uh, this year, Wood Duck Heron, but that changes from year to year. That changes, huh? Actually, no, I take it back. No, 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 I take it back. I'm going to redo that one. Uh, stimulator. 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 Why well, do you know what I was thinking? Stimulator. You Absolutely love, love that fly. Big, bushy, easy to see, right? Yep. Gotta love them. Um, what is your favorite fish that you've ever caught? Like, not not a species, but like a particular fish. Like, do you have a story to go with like a really, um, do you have a favorite fish that you've caught? Um, they've all been my favorite. Every every fish has just been my favorite. There's not one that stands out to you, like the way you caught it or something, or I don't know. I've got all sorts of crazy uh, experiences and stuff, and and I don't know. They just I'll probably think of one tomorrow. All right, well we can always. Uh, but they they they're all good. They're they're all they've all been awesome. They're all great memories. Awesome. All right. Good good answer. Um, and lastly, if you could fly fish in another state or country, where are you headed? Where are you going to? Another state or another country? Yeah. Uh, honestly, um, if I, if I'm going somewhere else, I'd love to do the, uh, the, uh, um, Sierra Nevadas in, uh, California. Cool. So like high elevation yeah. ponds there too? Yeah. Pack mule out to, you know, golden trout country. Very cool. I love it. All right, well, listen, uh, Sean, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, we talked earlier about, um, you know, if people want to find you, your your uh, Instagram page is at uh, the underscore real, as in like R-E-E-L, right? Yeah. Uh, underscore uncle underscore Sean, S-E-A-N. So the real Uncle Sean. Yeah. Um, not not a ton of followers, which is I, I think that's going to go up for you. Whether you're looking for it or not, it's fine. But at the end of the day, your content is awesome. You know, I'm just yeah, looking through here, and it's gorgeous ponds. You know, and that's all. All I'm going for is just you know, whoever wants to see that stuff, you know, can see it. So. Uh, also, it says cigar smoking extraordinaire. You, yeah. Uh, do you do that to keep the bugs away, or are you like a like a connoisseur of cigars? No, I mostly just do that, you know, just, I, I actually, I honestly, I only really smoke cigars when, uh, when I'm fishing. It's just kind of, and I've actually kind of backed off on it over the past couple of years because my, you know, my wife's been kind of getting on my case, but. Oh, uh, that's what happens when you make. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I do enjoy a good, uh, a good cigar. It's um, funny. I yeah, keep, keep bugs away and stuff like that, yeah. There are people that do it on the rivers here that swear by it, and I love the yeah. smell of cigar smoke coming down the river. Oh, yeah. It's very yeah. cool. So, um, and also could find you uh, on Facebook at um, at Sean Flag, so Flag yeah. with two Gs, 
Um, and he, 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 Sean also posts some beautiful reports on Maine fly fish. Uh, what's your name there? S S flag 91. Is that what it is? Yep. Yep. S flag 91. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, well, and if, um, you know, anyone, anyone that wants to reach out or anything, yeah, by all means, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, um, uh, flyfish don't, don't hesitate. You know, I, I might, I might seem like a curmudgeon, but no, I'm, I'm not. So. No, I, I consider you what I would call pretty much if there is such a thing, like an, pretty much an expert at backcountry uh, fishing you just you do it enough and you have enough experience with it that you've probably done a lot of things and learned a lot of lessons along the way that you could help people with to take that curve away so yeah and i i, I appreciate that i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't call by any like you said i'm a, I'm a very humble person i wouldn't i wouldn't call myself an expert by any means um i mean you, you, every time you're out you're constantly learning yeah. So, uh, and, and even even Jimmy, I'm sure when Jimmy goes out, he's constantly learning something. He would never. Uh, he would never admit maybe, that. Maybe though. maybe not Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it just you just got to keep on going. You're always learning, always always you know adjusting on the fly. Love it, love it. All right, brother. Well, thank you for your time. It's been a it's been great talking to you and. Um, People are gonna love this. I know they are. So. Well, I I, I hope they enjoy. It. I I got one question. Go ahead. What the hell is a podcast? A podcast? So it's. Uh, I have no I got no idea what a podcast. Wow, you're uh you're a country guy. Um. <laughs> it's uh, a podcast is basically it, it's basically an interview, um, usually where people are talking about uh certain topics or whatever and like. People can sub- subscribe to podcasts like you could listen to podcasts just on deer hunting or literally some people might do just on deer tracking or some people might just do a podcast on, I don't know, like home finances, right? Like budgeting stuff like you can find stuff out there. There are people that get paid money to do this through advertising and stuff. I'm not really looking for that. I just I'll tell you what, Sean, my thing was is I was driving to work a lot and I like listening to podcasts cause I just like hearing people, people yeah. talk about their experience and stuff, you know? And I, but I, I kept finding that fly fishing content was always people talking about just techniques and like yeah. the same old stuff. And I was like, I want to hear some stuff about Maine or new England, you know, like yeah. where I live. So that's why I decided to start this. And then I'm just interviewing people who are on the water a lot here, you know, and, and can share their experiences. So people eat this up, man. Uh, they'll, There'll be seven or eight hundred people who listen to this by within the next couple months, so it's pretty Jeez, cool. All, all to hear me bullshit. Hey, you're uh, you're telling how it is, and people love that. So, awesome. all right. Well, thanks, Sean. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Main Fly Fishing Podcast. 